Welcome to the Vertigo Show, where we're checking out the dark side of DC. We're here to recap and review Vertigo comics, including all kinds of Vertigo comics. One of the ones that we did in the past was the Sandman. Sandman. That's right. I am Eric. I'm Sean. And we are joined by our guests from What's Lightsaber's Precious. Hey. I'm Ryan. Uh, I'm Joanna. Thanks for having us, guys. Yeah, happy to be here again. It's been a little while. Yes. It has. It's been more than a year now since we recorded our Ninja Scroll episode. <laughs> You're right! Oh uh, Ninja Scroll. Ninja Scroll. <laughs> what a momentous... That was an, a, an epoch. Epoch-making event. nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> it was good to be back and not talking about horrible booby animes. You know? See, but I was actually... Well, I, mean, I, did, to... I, did, I did enjoy talking about that with you guys, but I'm glad I didn't have to prepare anything like, you know, watching a snake go in a woman's uh, <laughs> private areas. Sean hasn't seen the movie yet, and he hasn't listened to that Spoilers! Yeah, that's all you need to know, Sean. That just encapsulates the movie. But, actually, I'm I, sorry, Sean. I, Not I for an hour and 45 minutes. <laughs> I was kind of hoping to, like, work the conversation around to asking if we could, uh, you know, podcast another anime movie. Well, if you got a gross one, we can hopefully figure out a time to do that, but... We have to teleconference in con or something. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about that. We'll anyway, listeners, welcome to Imperfect Hosts, a Sandman Roundtable, in which we're going to talk about some of the themes of the show, as well as, excuse me, some of the themes of the comic, as well as our favorite things about it. Yeah. I like the drawings. There's some good <laughs> art. My favorite thing is the sand. A lot of sand. A lot of sand. And may I also say thanks, Joanna and Ryan, for being on oh, the show. Oh, yeah, I've, for uh, our pleasure. I've been listening to your show, and it is great. Well, thank oh, you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Sorry to say we're dialing it back a little bit. But... We're, kind of, we're kind of going slow down, mode. we're in kind of like maintenance mode right now, but we'll talk about that later. It's just, you know. Joanna runs kind of run out of Lord of the Rings topics. Uh, oh, no. there's not, it turns out there's not a lot of new ones coming out. It turns out the guy so, died. <laughs> so, uh, like, the out the guy material. died, and then later the other guy the died. Other guy also, just recently died. So, so we're kind we're of like we're kind of like making episodes when we, we get get an idea to do one, and we're gonna be talking about the Lord of the Rings Amazon show when that comes out. Mm, yeah. So, uh, which is not that far from now. So you should just transition. Like, just don't tell anybody. But start talking about World of Warcraft. <laughs> so Tolkien has invented this guy called Thrall, and he's you know, an archetypical yeah. Tolkien, father of the world we know as Azeroth. <laughs> Lord, yeah, but we're glad to be back, guys. You know, I, we we love the Sandman, Joanna. Love the sand and the Sandman. Mm-hmm. I love the man. And I love the, sand the man. Ma- I love the sand. Well, I love the man, but mostly the sand. See, the man me, is a distant sand. I, so the the round table. I disagree. I hate <laughs> sand. It gets everywhere. It's gritty, oh, of course. I'm like you, Padme. You're soft and not sand-like. <laughs> now I need to get mad. Like, uh, who's the who's the chick on the View that they have? Who like Megan McCain? Megan McCain. <laughs> My father! My father! Was made of sand! He was the sand man! My name is Daniel! I was, I was going to say that the sand man is a, is a hard man to love. I was thinking of Morpheus, but, you know, John McCain also, also, a, hard also a hard man to love. Also a hard man to love. We're going to yeah. talk about the entire series a little bit, I think, but maybe we yeah. should recap a little bit of how it ended. We are going to talk about how it ended, so your spoiler warning is now. 
if you want to get spoiled on a comic that ended in the 90s. Yeah. 1996, I'm yeah. pretty sure. <laughs> but, but basically, Morpheus had come into conflict with the Kindly Ones, a sort of mm. force of the universe that punishes those who spill family blood, which he had done when he mercy killed his son Orpheus. Yes. Right, he had been uh, successfully ignoring his son's pain for decades. Is he a good dad? Centuries? Decades? Millennia, maybe? Millennia. Is that a bad dad trait? Is that a thing you don't want a dad to do? I think he might be a bad dad. He might be, yeah. He, he was a fairly shitty father. There are some dads you might want to ignore you, though. Is Morpheus one of them? Yeah, is Morpheus. If, if Morpheus were my dad, I don't know. You want a big brooding goth father but following it, you around everywhere? It, it wasn't so much a give him his space situation as he had begged to be killed because he was just a decapitated head. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a whole thing. I mean, too. We've all been there. He was just a decapitated <laughs> head, like now. Richard Nixon in Futurama. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so oh, that's funny. <laughs> so the kindly ones fucked up the dreaming, and eventually Morpheus basically volunteered to be killed. And he was even accused by his sister Death of having planned the whole thing to mm-hmm. to end his life because he felt that he had to change or die, and could certainly not change. And a lot of his pals died in the process too. Like, I mean. And then, well, well, in the wake, they get, you know, they get kind of brought back, but a lot of people bit the dust from the kindly ones, you know? Yeah. If he brought it on himself, he's kind of a, kind of a, some casualties there. Yeah. Worth... I mean, he left a lot of damage in his wake. Is that... The wake! Yeah, the oh, wake! <laughs> Which brings me to my next deep thematic question. Is Morpheus kind of a dick? Oh, absolutely. Is he a 100. dick? Is he actually like a massive He's keeping it 100. Leader? He's, yeah, he's, he's all, he's, yeah, he's 100% that bitch. Wait, did you uh, say steaming wiener? He's a steaming wiener. <laughs> you know, like when you, when you put a, put a kielbasa in So the, there's the door. <laughs> yeah, he's a bit of a goth steaming wiener, right? Wiener? Yeah. Weemer? He's, he's a wiener. He's a wiener. He's a wiener. He's a black and white. No, he okay. is a boomafo, is what we're saying. <laughs> Furthermore. So I just learned about this last weekend. I had seen the word Zaboomafu places. <laughs> you didn't know what it meant? What did I you think did, it was? I never knew what it meant. Like I, a lost tribe I or something thought, like that? I just that. thought, well, I would see it when I was like scrolling through, you know, the, yeah, the TV listing. TBS yeah, show, and I would so. be like, well, that's a weird word. Moving on. Somebody... <laughs> <laughs> It always struck me as kind of a jazz approach to the word zoo. Yeah, a little improvisation zoo. along the way. Yeah. <laughs> you see right. the jazz hands at the end, the razzle dazzle. Well, yeah. basically, Eric, to summarize it for you, Zubumafu is about the Kratt brothers. Um, the brothers Kratt, as The brothers Kratt, who live in a house filled with wild, dangerous animals, and also Morpheus. Morpheus is there in the form of a lemur named Zabumafu. He's a lemur. He's a leaping lemur. He's actually a Sasako, which is And at the end, to save the Kratt brothers, he voluntarily. Allows himself life. to be killed. Does this all happen in Madagascar? Uh, no, maybe. It's hard. To, it's kind of a, a non-specific jungle hut where they live, and there's animals from all over the world that it's, kind of walk it's in. It's very artistic. It and, offers no easy. And answers. the crap, you know the crap brothers. You know who these guys are. I so probably are those the guys that made Star Runner. No, <laughs> the crap brothers are these very intense twin guys who are just like love animals. So like a tiger walking, like oh my god, it's a tiger, and they start like touching all over, like look at these stripes, they're beautiful. They're basically uh, like the Winklevoss twins. If the Winklevoss twins like, yeah. freak the shit out over Ant I mean, to be fair, they're really nice guys, really good guys. But Zabumafu is a real lemur who would come in, but also turns into a puppet and a claymation character, depending on the situation. So now that we know about Zabumafu, shall yeah. we move on to actually the Sandman? Yeah, the Sandman, as we were saying. One more thing, which is that okay. he had arranged for a human baby named Daniel Hall to take his place as the new dream of the Amazon. Yes. He did, that's true, that's true. 
Not Zabumafoom now. We're uh, no, no, no. Zabumafoom did not arrange that. Daniel no the boy. I feel like Morpheus <laughs> could also <laughs> turn into... I feel like Morpheus could also turn into a puppet or a claymation as needed. <clears throat> I, think like, into, I mean, he turned into a cat at one point. I think the he art anything, style, right? like The art yeah. style shifts as as the story requires, so I kind of feel like that... that yeah. Club is also in pretty much the same. Yeah, fair. Bag. Yeah. We have Daniel, the little boy, he's uh, Lyda's son. Yeah, Lyda yeah. Hall, right? Apollida. And the other Sandman, the uh, the Jack Kirby Sandman. Wesley Dodds? No, no, no. Hector Hall. Hector, that's okay. Yeah, okay. Wesley Dodds, the old man, that's right. Wesley Dodds was Sandman number one. Like the, the Golden Age Sandman, right? Right. With the gas mask yeah. and stuff, right? Okay. They, which is why they have Morpheus wearing yeah. a sort of elephant skull mask, which mm-hmm. kind of looks like Wesley kind Dodds' gas, gas mask. mask. Yeah, yeah. That's a cool touch. He's in the last book. He's in the wake. Was he he shows up. He's in the early story too. I know that. Okay. Right. Sleep of the Just. Yes. Yeah. So the idea is that when Morpheus has been captured by Roderick Burgess, the warlock, and is mm-hmm. locked in the crystal cell, the universe is like reacting to his absence. Right. And yes. one of the things it does is create this other Sandman mm-hmm. to fill the gap. Yeah. So Daniel is there. He's a little baby. He's in the dreaming. Been taken away from his mother. She's pretty upset about it. Well, she's convinced Morpheus has killed him. Right. So she uses the Furies. Yeah. And they wreck shit. And I think that about summarizes they it. Tear shit up. <laughs> they, they tear kill, shit up. Uh, they kill Mervyn Pumpkinhead. I know. Nerf after dies. he comes at them yeah. with like a like a semi-auto. It's pretty cool. I remember that's pretty I think, sick. I think it was a full auto. I think it was a full... Yeah. Okay, sorry. I'm not giving Pumpkinhead the, uh, the credit he deserves. <laughs> yeah, he was, his choice of firearms. He wasn't pulling the trigger that no. fast. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, uh, he was just holding it down. Yeah. The scorpion flail, which is not like a scorpion at the end of a flail. Right. A flail, flail that's a scorpion tail. Right, thing. yeah. <laughs> scorpion tails together. Um, doesn't PK, our brother from our sister podcast, love the scorpion flail? Is that a thing? Yeah, I remember him being shocked that that's what it turned out to be, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Motherfucker loves the scorpion flail. The scorpion flail's cool. I mean, I, I, I like it. Sleep of the Just also has that moment uh, where Morpheus, having not eaten in 80 years, uh, goes into somebody's dream and steals the bucket of fried yeah, chicken. I remember that, yeah. <laughs> Which, like, it's it's probably a bad idea to, like peak in your first issue, but that is the best thing yeah. that happens. <laughs> I was like, who's dreaming about fried chicken? Have you guys had a fried Ooh. chicken dream before? A lot of people like it. I'm like, I'm vegan, so I'm the wrong person to ask, but like, I'm pretty sure a lot of people like it. Like, if I've heard tell dream, Joanna, fr- as a vegan, if he did in your dream, what would you be dreaming about? Like wheatgrass and twigs and nasty. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible he'd go looking for totally another dream. dream about vegan fried chicken. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Lots of soy. Well, I can't eat soy either, so I just basically um, dream about, you know. Yeah. There is that, uh, there is that, like, crispy fried tofu there's a place in Ann Arbor I can't remember what restaurant but they make crispy fried tofu and it's is it good? it's real good see Joanne's got a soy allergy too so it's like very... oh, oh shit so it's hard yeah, to be even a vegan it she sucks man all the cool fun, fun fake stuff is made of soy so I see and soy, I like soy I do a lot but Joanna can't or she can but it just makes her stomach like balloon out and like mm. feel sick so she's got diet problems I'll tell you what. So basically, if Morpheus could see my dreams, he'd just dream about like eating delicious vegan fried chicken and then shitting for like four hours. Yes, <laughs> that's what would have a shit dream. So there is a scene in the Sandman universe number one where some of the characters get pulled into the dream of this woman who is uh, dying in a hospital and she's on an all liquid diet, and so she's just dreaming about food all the time. Oh, there you go. That's the kind of dreams he's eating. In. I still haven't read Sandman universe number one. I should. Mm-hmm. I neither. Actually, I, I have a whole bunch of 
the rebooted Sandman universe. I have a whole bunch of those comics. I haven't read any of them. I was wondering yet. about wow. those. I saw them coming out, but I have, I've read a bunch of like the spin-offs that came out for this series. Like I read like the ones that came, like the the Death ones. I read like the Yoshitaka Amano one off, but all the new ones coming out, I have no idea if they're any good or if they're you know. Oh, there's an so, Amano one. I didn't yes, know. it's called, it's called the Dream Hunters. He did all the art for it. It's like. Ishitaka Mon, if you don't know who that is, he's the guy who did all the art for Final Fantasy back in the it's day. Very pretty. Final Fantasy, by the way, is a hundred percent my jam. Okay. Like, whenever people talk about Legend of Zelda or Pokemon, I'm like, like, I didn't play those games. Final I played Fantasy Final Man. Fantasy. Yeah. Well, you'd like this one because it's Yoshitaka Mono drawing Dream and and his and stuff. And like so everybody kind of looks like Sephiroth. They're all oh, they're beautiful. beautiful. They're beautiful. Sean, we're covering this book. This if is... I'm not mistaken, by the way, it's worth mentioning. I think that the original release of the Dream Hunters was like an illustrated novel. I think it was with, uh, yeah. illustrations by a and there's also a comic book adaptation of that. Yeah, I read the comic version. I haven't read the novel of it. But. I think that he did, unless I'm mistaking him for another Japanese gentleman, which is possible, I think he did a Wolverine and Electra comic book. I think, well, that was Nihei, I think. It was not Tetsuo, that's his first name. He's a guy who did a comic called Blame. He did a series called Snicked. That was that was his Wolverine Snicked? comic. Snicked. Okay, <laughs> and it was a Wolverine. It might have, Amano did do the Wolverine one. I don't know. I know that... Nihei's his last name, but he did a he did a Wolverine series that was pretty pretty cool, pretty cool looking. Okay, I'll look it up. Though. There are also some issues of X Men from like I think the Chuck Austin period where it's drawn by Kia Asamiya. Mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. Craig Russell is the artist on the Dream Hunters uh, graphic novel. Cool. Ah, uh, okay. okay. But you want you want to see the Amano art? You want I want that Amano art. Yeah. yeah. I want to go mano a mano with Ooh, some <laughs> That's so good. We have to get him on the show now somehow. Yeah. Well, all you have to do is play back that clip. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, like, call my agent. <laughs> you were right, Eric. I stand corrected. Electric Wolverine, The Redeemer. Written by Greg Rucka. Oh. Illustrated by, by Greg... Yoshitaka Amano. Okay. You well, were right. Well, Greg Rucka can write a comic book real good. Your so. pretty cool. I'm looking at it. It's kind of neat. So there's Wolverine and Electra. Oh, that is dope. It's like very, very funky and, and lots of lots of flowing fabrics and, and lines and It just kind of looks like it's vaguely like what if Electra were sent to Final Fantasy VI. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 She's got this kind of weird Kefka color background going on. It's cool. It's cool. <clears throat> I'm into it. So we started to talk a little bit about Sleep of the Just. Yeah. In the beginning of the series where Morpheus is captured for seventy years and his captivity sort of informs the whole rest of the story as he's he does change as much as he wants to deny it from the experience of being imprisoned. Right. Yeah, so in a lot of ways, like I think that the way that the story ends could be... I mean, we talked at the time about how it could be seen as like a suicide. Um, yeah. And, and Morpheus as suffering from depression. Maybe also you think? Maybe also, you a, think? Good, <laughs> maybe also a good chunk of, uh, of PTSD in there. Probably yeah, from yeah. 70 years of captivity. Well, and two of the people that he had wronged the most, right, were Nada, his Nada. original girlfriend that he sent to hell for 10,000 years for turning him down. Mm-hmm. That's pretty, pretty harsh, Pretty man. fucking awful. Yeah. And, and Orpheus, who had had his head cut head off. Head cut off, yeah. So they were both suffering from lengthy imprisonment, and he had a, a sense of what right. that was like. He only did 70 years. I mean, that's nothing, man. 10,000 in hell. Yeah. I mean, like, I guess, yeah. I mean, you say he changes. I think it's just Sorry. from being, like, a massive dick. To, like, slightly less of a death. He's a depressive man. He's very brooding. He's got, you know, he's just kind of... He definitely has something going on, right? He's, you know, he's a sad man. He's a sad man who's trying to make up for stuff he did badly and 
Sort of. Sort kind of. of. Although, like, a lot of times he gets cajoled into it. Like, yeah. going to release Nada from hell. Like, that. Yeah, he kind, of, he kind of talked into it, right? Yeah. Yeah. But um, he did it. So, yeah. And, and, yeah. He, and, he, and he gave his, his son another, you know, like a kind of a sweet release, you know? I don't know. Is the sound of her wings in this in this book? It's in the first book. Yeah. That's, where, the that's, first where, book. that's where death shows up, right? Yeah, I'm just trying to remember if there's anything in his interactions with his sister death the first time we meet her that would like kind of tip tip where the story is gonna end. Okay, worth a look. Looking for any foreshadowing, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. I also want to call out there's that Merv line, which is from right after like his breakup with Thessaly mm-hmm. in um, Brief Lives, I think. Where he says, you know, he gets to be the tragic figure standing in the rain, and the rest of us get dreams full of rain and misery. Yeah. <laughs> so he's kind of indulgent in his yeah, depression as so. well. Yeah, I think so. He likes to bring everyone down with him. I forgot this one. I forgot this Oh, book. yeah! Kind of oh, that rules, yeah. Where, like, he's having, like, a full-fledged superhero fight with well, Dr. Back, it's back when they forgot. Like, they weren't sure if it was going to be, like, a... Like DC was trying to make it a DC comic a little bit at that point. Yeah, well, I like that they kind of have a superhero fight for like three pages, yeah, and yeah. then <laughs> and I like I forgot about this. So I reread the wake for this, but like uh, Superman and and Martian Manhunter and Batman show up at the wake. Yeah, yeah, that's what yeah. I thought was. Oh yeah, it was so funny. Like I was like, I can't forgot these guys are in here. That's great. They have kind of a, a meta conversation too. Well, he has a whole issue where he's there, where he's hanging out with John Constantine. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep, Constantine. Yep. Yeah, he's kind of. Kind of blended into the Sandman stuff. His poor girlfriend. Yeah. And... yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I understand Daniel uh, Daniel Dream is a big presence in the Dark Knight's Metal series. That, oh, really? That, with Batman that came out a couple years ago. Mm, interesting. I wasn't sure if they kept that stuff around after the whole like New Fifty Two and stuff. You know, all the the Sandman connection. And I'm out, I'm out of loop on DC Comics. I don't know what's don't That's know what's fair. good. Yeah. So in Sound of Her Wings, Morpheus gives this speech. You must make the voices. I, I don't worry, I will. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong, but you're right. Something is the matter. When they captured me, imprisoned me in their box, I had just one thought. Revenge. By the time I freed myself, my original captor had gone the way of mortals, and I took my vengeance on his son. It felt fine, I suppose. But it didn't feel as satisfying as I had expected. In the interim, my dream world had fallen apart. I needed my tools, long since stolen and scattered. One by one, I found them. Eventually, I found them. The ruby was... A human had been using it. I hate to think what toll it must have taken on his mind, on his soul. We fought in dreams. The stone, no longer mine, was sucking me into its fabric. It was... terrible. And thinking it was my life he was crushing... He destroyed the ruby. He destroyed it. It freed me. More than that, it freed everything of me that was in the stone. I got it all back. I was more powerful than I had been in eons. I returned the human to the madhouse. You see, until then I'd been driven. I'd had a true quest, a purpose beyond my function. And then suddenly the quest was over. I felt drained, disappointed, let down. Does that make sense? I had been sure that as soon as I had everything back, I'd feel good. But inside, I felt worse than when I started. I feel like... nothing. There, you asked. I'm sorry. Maybe I don't have an answer. 
You guys couldn't see this, but when Eric was talking, there was this, he was speaking with a black wavy speech bubble with white text in it. It was yeah. really cool. Yeah. I don't know how he did Appeared that, but good job, man. Yeah. He pulled it off. Nailed well, it. When you cover 75 issues of Sandman. You develop a good speech bubble. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But let's talk for a minute about the tools, because that's the first thing that Morpheus does in the series. He gets get his stuff back. Yeah, he has to go on his on his journey to get his three tools, his helmet, Ruby, and bag of sand. Get his band back. back together, yeah. And that sort of sets up one of the other major themes of the series, which is sort of the uh, the idea of identity and how it is crafted. Mm-hmm. He defines himself in part by his job and the tools that he uses to do it. So he's not just reclaiming items, he's also reclaiming who he is and who he wants to be when he goes on that journey. Definitely. Yes. That's true, although it seems that like who he thought he wanted to be is not quite as satisfying as he originally. Yeah, he gets his stuff back and he's still bummed out, so... <clears throat> it's true. It's he's true. still a depressive guy. And... Well, and he gets all this power, right? And, you know, to kind of go back to maybe the theme of, uh, of PTSD, he gets all this power and it is not enough to assuage his feelings of powerlessness. Yeah, that's a good point. And also, that ties into the negotiation, the negotiation that's always present in Morpheus between, like, who he is and his function. Mm -hmm. He really, more than any of the Endless, defines himself by, like, this is my job, these are my responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And so so when he's reclaimed all this power and has the ability to, like, do anything he can imagine by himself again without his tools, he's kind of at a loss what to do. He'd put so much of himself into his function that he'd sort of forgotten the himself part of it. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, do you guys think it's purely like a, like a PTSD depression situation um, where he's just no longer satisfied by the things that were once so satisfying to him because he has gone through this traumatic experience? Or do you think like he's in any way matured? Because like it's, it's like a really negative interpretation to say like he's just depression and PTSD. Like it, is he in any way a better person well, for I having think gone he, through a bad experience? I think he does mature somewhat, but unfortunately for him, that takes the form of like realizing what an asshole he is. <laughs> it's hard to admit that, you know? Um, a lot he, of times he, maturing he, takes that form. He's I been think. an asshole a lot and he's a lot of assholing to confront, you know? <laughs> and that's, yes. uh, it's a hard thing to look back at your your fuck-ups and be like, oh man, that was me. I did that. Right. I suck. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> and so it's probably pretty easy for him to try to, like, not recognize that stuff. But but I do think anyway. that he uh, he devotes a lot of energy to trying to right the wrongs that he has yeah. done. To make yeah. amends for the things Which he's Which I would done. consider, like, a positive development. Definitely. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You think he's... You mentioned something about, like, you know, he defines himself by his job. Do you think he still thinks of himself as, like, the, the dream lord by the end? Do you think he's more, like... Because he defines himself kind of by his, like, his look and his, his job and the stuff he has, right? Do you think he has, like, a more defined personality by the end as far as, like, his own self-perception, you think? I don't know. Well, one thing that I do think is that he does kind of reach out to his, his family, his yeah, siblings. Yeah, he reminds them a little bit more, right? yeah. In the end. And his friends a little bit, too. There's that great scene with Matthew at the end of Kindly Ones, where he, he brings along Matthew, who cannot affect the outcome of his confrontation with mm. the Kindly Ones at all. No. Just sort of to have a friend there. And Basically, it's a great moment. But also kind of inviting him to watch himself, watch him die, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> Poor Matthew, man. Matthew, was... you want to see something cool? Matthew had it kind of rough in the last couple of books, but... There's that great moment where he orders Matthew to take his tools back to the palace and Matthew makes him ask as a friend instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and at the end, yeah. he, even in his speech at the wake, he, he has to slip between calling him boss and calling him friend, you know. Yeah. Until he's still pretty pissed at him for doing that, but he understands, you know. 
look more as a friend. And the the idea that he had Matthew there partially just to like witness his destruction, it raises the question of like, does Morpheus go out in a blaze of glory, or, or not with a bang but with a whimper? <laughs> I guess what I was thinking is. That doesn't sound like a very mature thing to do. (laughs) To to make sure that you go out in a a blaze of glory and to make sure someone's there to see it. So, like, can we read uh, the end of Morpheus as at all the actions of a more mature character? Or is it just Wiener's gonna Or is he going out in a blaze of glory like a... It could be both things. I agree. I think it's both. Because Mm -hmm. he's, like, he's got enough self-awareness to basically decide not to be the person that he is anymore. Even though he's not, he's not willing to actually change. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that sort of, that I think is, is a really important thing to say, like, I would rather die than change is a great thing for, like, a mm-hmm. Byronic hero to say. Mm-hmm. It is not a good plan for real life. No, no, no. Yeah. Sean, <laughs> did you want to do something else before we got into these favorites? I think we can talk about themes a little more. I don't know. Well, I thought maybe we could, we could circle back around to themes. We can talk about themes as we're talking about faves. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we'll intersperse them. We'll yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, sure. major, yeah, yeah. like yeah. your major Oscar category. There you go. Yes. Right, yeah, yes, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Our first category of the evening is favorite artist. Favorite <laughs> artist. Okay, well, everybody who's listened to the show knows what my answer for this is going to be. Sam Keith of the Max, who drew the first uh, five issues. I think it was five. Was it only, it was either three or five. I thought it was four. But, See, uh, he left at a certain point. Okay, he got out. It's not either three or five. He wrote uh, a number of issues at the beginning of the series and then left forever. Uh, but he is consistently listed as co-creator for all the Sandman characters because he did draw those first issues. Anyway, the way Sam Keith draws stuff, like, kind of dreamlike, kind of cartoony, mm-hmm. very horror-influenced, always awesome. Yeah, he drew issue number four, I think, where they go to hell mm-hmm. and... The monsters in hell are awesome. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I think there was a quote in the last, and in the wake, I think, in the end, they were going through, they were kind of talking about, like, uh, the history of the Sam and the timeline, and that, like, like Sam Keith left because he felt like Jimi Hendrix and the Beatles. Like, so he's, like, <laughs> he felt out of place a little bit, doing, like, this kind of more dreamy, weird stuff. Um, but he had, you know, his, his impact is pretty felt, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, his, he, like, he said he's co-credited with designing the characters. I think that's definitely fair. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Did anyone else have a different choice? Yeah. What do you got? Um, well, I always liked the ninth volume. Uh, it's got like the most, the cartooniest art, and I'm a weeaboo. Um, oh, so she's a weeb. Obviously. Newsflash. Like Joanna's a weeb. Very cartoony a and Buck of Gaijin over here. Yeah. So that's like, and um, <laughs> he was the same person who did the pencils all the way through, but different people like colored it. Do you, want so. many, do you have the artist's name on No, it's, I it don't is have it. Primarily Mark Hempel. Mark Hempel. Mm-hmm. All right. I just like the art in that book, man. That's all I'm saying. Ryan? I really, I don't know. The variation's so good in the Sandman. And this is, might be a, might be a weird, weird thing to say because you didn't think any of the interior art in the main books. But I like, I like Dave McKean. I think he's interesting. Covers. That is like a solid choice. They're, they're always so interesting and they make you think like they almost always have at least a little something to do with what's going to be in the issue. But a lot of times it's just kind of like abstract and you got to kind of like, you know, you figure out your own meaning to it. And he, I really like his art, even outside of the Sandman. And so I, uh, I always appreciate his covers. You know, oh, always make yeah. you think. They're, they're very dreamlike. You know, they really Definitely. fits the theme of the, of the story where, like, the art is going to be shifting and changing. And so does his, so do his covers. I know, was right? reading something about yeah. how, like, it was kind of a departure, the fact that he decided he wasn't going to have the main character of the series on every single yeah. cover of every I, I think issue. that's so cool. I think it's yeah. so cool. That, like, cover could be just, like, some, some symbolic 
weird stuff. And we just decided instead to always have Wolverine on the cover. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Every, yeah. every cover of the sand is the weirdest thing. <laughs> it's beautiful Dave McKean on them. And Wolverine's just copy and paste it, right? It's, just, it's, it's always actually, the same DC. picture. It's always, it's always a JPEG artifact. Yeah. DC <laughs> didn't have the rights to Wolverine, so this is technically a different character named Harry Badgerman. Harry Badgerman. <laughs> Yes. So I would say, yeah, I think overall Dave McKean's my favorite Samian artist. Mm-hmm. Nice call. I think I feel like there's an expectation that I'm going to pick Charles Vess. He is an honorable mention. My actual answer is going to be Jill Thompson, Jill who okay. was the primary artist on A Game, Game of, of You. Yeah. She's got a real consistent style. I like her style. Get it. Get yeah. it. Get yeah. It. yeah. It's sad that Ark has gorgeous fantasy art. Mm-hmm. It does. Absolutely. Does. Uh, and, a, and a gorgeous fantasy landscape that, mm-hmm. we, that mm-hmm. we get to see. Yeah. For sure. I have an honorable mention, though. What's that? I really like the art, in, and it's just one issue, but in Ramadan. Oh, the really Islamic like, it's very, Yeah, it's like extremely ornate. It's extremely colorful. It was beautiful. detailed. Is that Vest? That is P. Craig Russell. Yeah. I oh, really like okay. It. Charles really Vest did, like, the, the flying women story. Mm, yeah, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, all throughout. Just I love the variety of the art. I like how you know if you don't like a certain style, it's not going to be around that long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, this actually sort of reminds me of the recently concluded Tom King Batman run, mm-hmm. where he worked with just like a murderer's row of artists, and so the the style would like shift periodically, and it would play to the to the strengths of like different types of stories that he was telling, and. Just uh, a couple of those guys that he worked with on that run, um, Janin, I think Clay Mann, were just awesome artists who, you know, it's just really cool to see them drawing Batman. Another person who can draw Batman real good is Sam Keith. Like, tell me about Sam, that the, this change of style works because he's jumping between different time periods or between different dreams. Do you think it works as well on Batman, where it's kind of a continuous story with like the same like same timeline and same characters and stuff? I do think so because I think that uh, I think that the writer does something very conscious with it. He thinks about like, these artists before he writes the story. Right, he think. thinks about who the artist mm-hmm. is going to be, and he like and he definitely tells different types of stories to match with his different artists. Is there cool. is there a degree to which that run tries to be like the Moby Dick of Batman, where he's going <laughs> to cover every aspect, every conception of what Batman could be, and just talk about fish a lot. Cytology plays yeah. like just a really heavy role. Yeah, I, I mean, the one issue that was entirely about different kinds of fish stew, I thought, <laughs> well, I thought was choice. strange. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, I don't want to get too far on this tangent here, but I would actually say kind of the opposite. That like rather than rather than every aspect of Batman, it's almost like it's almost like Tom King is trying to is trying to square every part of the Batman mythos with his singular vision of the guy and what motivates him, right? Mm. So interesting. So he's kind of laser focused on the Batman inside. Yeah, okay. got it. But with different artists telling the helping him tell the story, different as different different factions of or, factions, not factions <laughs> different, different aspects of Batman. I was trying to say more between like, different Batman facets. factions. There you go. There I said I combined, combined facets and aspects into <laughs> factions. What? <laughs> He's he's a man of contrast. I don't know. He's got internal. Does war. Tom King like break a pool cue and yeah, down to, see does, to draw the art? <laughs> right. <laughs> but like you were saying, Ryan, the yeah. the uh, uh, Neil Gaiman talked about how he always put a lot of thought into like who his artist was for this issue mm-hmm. and what kind of story that art would work with, and it really works with the concept of like 
different aspects of Morpheus. Everybody's witnessing a different facet of who he is, and they're coming from all different backgrounds and time frames and so on. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So having a lot of different artists is a good way to approach that. I just think it had to be really fun to work on the series, because every time you come in, you get to like make your version of Morpheus. You know, it's gonna, there's just a few, few tells. He's got to have the you know crazy black hair. He's got to have like dark eyes. But like it's got to be fun to kind of make your own spin on these characters, because they, they're, they can be, you know, they can change shape and forms, and I think that's really cool. So I think as an artist, it would be really fun to work on the Sandman and put your own spin on it. Ryan, you'll never be able to work on the Sandman. Because it's over. I hate to tell you. Oh, I guess like universe, I guess. But... They got that Sandman universe I know, now. I know. Why don't you apply? Do it. They got to have Neil write it for me. Or you could just draw the character. I could just draw the character for fun on my own, yeah. Definitely. That is true. Yeah. I, anyone can do it. That's the thing. That's the thing about fan fiction. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what it would be if you made a yeah. fan. You could do like you could do commissions for Sandman Universe, and then half of them would be like you know, wanting you to draw them as anthropomorphic wolves, like, 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 you know, like peeing on each other. Morpheus is pregnant. And then it'd be, and, yeah, yeah, Morpheus is also okay. pregnant and also just like hugely swollen and With big old titties. So I went a different way. <laughs> In my head, I was thinking that if you did it like straightforward without yeah, the kinks. Fan fiction, <laughs> well, you're not gonna no, make any you, money. No, you could do it, it, you just won't make any money. If you did it straightforward um, and did like a really good job, maybe they would make uh, your piece of art a uh, very cover. Yeah, there you go. I feel like covers are that's there. probably yeah. every fan artist's dream, right? It's a very cover, yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's a big deal. That's pretty cool when that happens. Anyway, I know you guys probably talk about this sort of, you know, pregnant fan fiction all the time and pregs you know pregnant morpheus talk about you know, there's uh, a he's, lot he's a furry more... he's like a wolf or whatever we've kind of been saving that for transmetropolitan okay yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> there's a lot more mpreg on your show than <laughs> for whatever I reason i could do a whole show just about mpreg i and love she it has. i think we did <laughs> i love mpreg every guys. time the christmas rolls around it's <laughs> My, you keep yeah. doing song fix so turnabout is fair play fair enough, fair i hate enough. song fix song fix are bad you're right <laughs> Um, I love you. Anyway. That was one of the things about the Sandman in the original run, right? Is that Gaiman had, like, extracted this promise that nobody else writes it when I'm done the series ends. That's really cool, though. I think yeah, that's... Yeah! Think of the leverage you'd have to have to get that kind of agreement. That's amazing. And he was still relatively early in his career. Well, yeah, he was, like, you know, 12 or whatever, so... Well, <laughs> like... no, he's just, you can tell it's just a singular voice for this thing, you know? It's like, he's got such a such a clear sense. He, like, he writes his different characters so well, like, the different narrators, and it's just, I don't know. Talented guy. Yeah. Big fan of him. Very Big precocious 12-year-old. Yes. As far as, as far as middle schoolers go, one of the best long-running graphic Especially novels. Especially, like, his mature view of, like, sexual themes, I think, is yeah. really surprising, <laughs> considering that he was in middle school. Yeah. Um, surprising it's... and also somewhat alarming. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's good, good stuff, Neil. A+. Because he's, like, 25 now. So. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> He still's got a pretty good relationship, it seems like, because he's letting these books keep on being published, and you know, and like yeah. like Alan Moore, for example, who just like ditched mainstream comics altogether, and is still mad, still mad, still mad, understandably so. But. I think, yeah, I sort of think that Alan Moore is most comfortable when he's mad, but <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, I think it fuels his, his. He's gonna die mad, and he's gonna be really happy about if, it. Yeah. Heals him. If yeah. somebody tells him, like, die mad about it, he's like, that's the plan. That's the plan. Actually, I'm already there. I've done it already. I've been my snake god and being angry about it. He worships a snake god. Everybody knows that. I see. Serpent god. He also wears, like, fingers split, like, finger mail, like, like, 
like claws, like a metal finger thing. Oh, I was thinking fingerless gloves, but these are actually no, they're fingerless like, they're like, they're gloves. Like, like, like what vampires wear in, in crappy goth art. They wear like like the finger armor where it's like a claw at the end with like a jewel or whatever. I see. He wears that around. He's got one of them. He's got a big old beard. He wears the finger claws. He talks about god. the serpent god and how superheroes are the worst. So, okay. Yeah, he's 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 a, he's a grumpy old man. Um, it's not about him. We're talking about Neil, not about him. Talking about Neil. Uh, Sean, what's uh, what's next? What's on your list? Yeah. Our next category is favorite writer. My favorite writer is Cy Spurrier for Sandman Universe Number One. Sound like Neil Gaiman a lot. He's pretty good. Dark Horse. <laughs> 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 Neil Gaiman. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> My Dark Horse pick is Neil Gaiman. <laughs> really? Um, Speak on that. <laughs> no. No. That's a bold stance, Eric. I want to hear more. Why would you say something so controversial? <laughs> That's so brave. Why would you say something so brave and yet so true? <laughs> I'm an asshole. Uh, actual, actual category. Our next category is favorite story arc. Favorite story arc. Game of you. you That's like why I was on those episodes. Because <laughs> Eric let me pick. So. Nice. <laughs> Yeah, I really like it. I think, I mean, like, I like the fantasy aspects as, like, you know, a kind of a, a fantasy kid. Um, yeah, the same yeah. man, it would kind of psych. Well, I feel like it started out more horror, straight horror, than it eventually became, and then it sort of became more dark fantasy, although there were certainly horrific elements in the game of you. But I think I just liked, um, it had this whole theme of people seeming very boring, basic, um, and then when you get to know them, they have, like, an extremely rich inner life. Like, when Barbie was first introduced in yeah. the, the whole Rose arc yeah. early on, she was just, like, part of this yuppie couple, uh, extremely boring, seemingly extremely just white, flavorless. Uh, and then it, it turns out she actually has, like, an extremely deep and rich inner imaginary It turns out she's world. not totally a man It turns out she's not. Exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. So I really like that. Thessaly's the same way. They, t- they, they describe Thessaly as vanilla, and then it turns out she is any but mm-hmm. she's terrifying. She, she fucking yes. nails faces to walls. Yeah, yeah. So that's always been a theme I really like. It's just like once you get to know someone, you realize that everybody has like worlds inside them. Yeah. That's I think, I, that was a strong contender for my favorite story arc too. Uh, I think partially just because like we had so much fun covering it and, mm-hmm. um, and we did like such a good episode out of it. But also, like, that Jill Thompson art. Mm, yes. um, I'm going to put a footnote here that we need to come back to something that comes up at the end of Game of View once we finish this okay. award. And okay. I also, like, I think that the terrifyingness of Thessaly, like, struck a weak point for massive damage with me. Oh, yeah? <laughs> because, like, yeah, like, she's so creepy and awesome. Yeah. Like, yeah. That, that really works for me. But my actual choice in this category for favorite story arc is gonna be the kindly ones. Okay. Like the longest one. The longest story arc. Yeah, the yeah. longest one, kind of the last one. The big finale. Yeah. Much. Yeah. But it has absolutely like lived in my brain ever since I read it. So Yeah, that the art's super cool. We talked about that in Joanne. <clears throat> that was that yeah. was up there for me too, that that whole story arc. Yeah. yeah I really like it. It's it's got a really good like tragic hero sort of arc to mm-hmm. it. It is one of like one of the longest, if not the longest, like single single story arc. I, I think. Yeah, I think so. That's um, the longest of the of It's the... thirteen and a half issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's crazy ambitious. He's even like making jokes at his own expense at how long the story arc has yeah. to be yeah. to wrap everything. <laughs> he's aware of it. Yeah. He's worked in like every character that's left over from the series into this plot. I always think about the fact that um Marvel had a Mockingbird ongoing series uh, a couple years ago that only ran for eight issues. And when I think about the fact, I always think about the fact that that was an ongoing series that lasted eight issues. 
And some people will like make a, a 13 and a half issue mini series. Right. <laughs> yeah. right, right. Yeah. Not so mini, is it, Neil? No, it's good. That's good. He has a good choices. I was, I was thinking about those two as well as for my faves, which is boring because you already talked about them. Um, Do you have a backup fave? Those are my backup faves already. I don't know. I like I like some of the continuing plot threads that go through this through the whole thing. That's not like maybe a story arc, but I like you know him and Hob having their meetings every every hundred years. I think that's really cool. I like mm-hmm. you know coming back to to Kay and Abel now and then. I like there's a lot of like fun little like you know little side character stories going on that I really like in the Sandman. The oh. evolution of the relationship between Cain uh, and Abel, mm-hmm. where, like, yeah. like, Cain is super pissed off when Abel gets, like, permanently killed. Right. I love yeah. that. That's that's great. Yeah. I love the way that we get to know those two over the course of the series. It's not like they don't have their own arc, but they have their own arc, you know? It's kind of like a side arc that's going on in the background, and you kind of see it developing over time, which I, I like. I like that stuff a lot. That is, right. I think, a good thing about the Kindly Ones, too, is that you get to have those, all of these characters who've been uh, kind of background or kind of mm-hmm. woven in actually mm-hmm. kind of take center stage. That's why I like that. Yeah. yeah, it kind of feels like, oh, it's kind of a cul- culmination of all the stories now, we've, we've had so far. Do you right? think he was planning that from the beginning or do you think he got to that point and he's like, oh, shit, I gotta find a way to connect them all? Well, was he was he playing like, I mean, from issue one, was he planning like, I'm gonna work these all together in the end? Well, he's and... a good writer, but I think, I feel like he might be it might be fun for him to kind of see where it all ends up, you know? I think mm-hmm. he's the kind of guy I think maybe... he was seat of his pants in it a little a, bit? A little bit. You know, like you see in the first, uh, uh, like, Prince of Nocturnes, read through that that collection, is like, he's he, he still kind of getting his footing a little bit. He didn't clearly have, like, a huge, this big story in mind from the beginning. And it kind of developed that as it went on, I feel like. Maybe a few hints here and there, but... I don't know. I think, I think he's just a good writer. He managed to, like, wrap it all up pretty nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, find, you know, satisfying conclusions to most people's characters, or most characters' storylines, so... Yeah. Because he's good at it. I don't know. My favorite is Season of Mists. Season of Mists, okay. That I... is the one where Lucifer is done with the whole hell gig. Yeah, so That's he goes right. to hell to rescue Nada. He expects a big fight with Lucifer. Lucifer instead just quits he's like, I don't and hands him out. the keys to hell. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then a bunch of people show up wanting to put in bids. Wanna, right? Wanting to, take to buy yeah, that ship. That is a fun. I do like that one. Yeah, yeah so the, the second half of that oh. story where he has to deal with all of the different mythological the pantheons coming to his house and wanting to buy the key to hell is is really fun. And also the way that this story arc changes when you have read the end of the story, where you know now that like he has this urge to find something to like homerically throw himself against and be destroyed. And the way that he goes to hell and sort of this expectation and comes back depressed that it went surprisingly well. (laughs) I'm supposed to die down there. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, a, good, really that's a good arc. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. All the hell stuff's fun. Lucifer's a good character. I just found out when I was looking yeah. into it, maybe I knew this before and forgot, that Lucifer has like a spinoff. Yeah, he's got a whole later. series. It actually sounds like pretty tough. I, I haven't read good. it, but... Yeah, it's up there. It's up there on your guys' shelf. Yeah, we have begun covering the early issues of Lucifer. Lucifer's good. Oh. Cool. They draw him kind of like David Bowie, which I like. Mike Carey is really good at drawing. Like, Really good at drawing? He is a writer. Sorry, everyone. Uh, <laughs> drawing words. words. My character. Drawing pictures in your mind. Yeah, exactly. Words. In mind's eye. can read what he writes. Oh, when did you guys start covering Lucifer? It snuck into the Sandman slot after, oh. um, after we did uh, The Wake. Okay. Gotcha. So yeah, we've been we've been covering it in the Sandman slot. Nice. For, I'm not, is there, have we actually released any Lucifer episodes yet? Yeah. Okay. Two? Yeah, I believe we covered the Lucifer miniseries, the Morning Star option, mm. and the first three issues of the ongoing, the first story oh, arc. Sweet, I'm going to listen to those. 
Yeah. This was a good series. You should read it, Joanna. It's fun. Okay. You like it. Ryan? I want to slip in an honorable mention for Preludes and Nocturnes because the first issue of Sandman remains one of the best issues that Neil Gaiman ever did, and this is the story arc that has that Sam Keith art, and I think that the sort of quest to like regain his tools one by one provides it with a really good narrative structure that's really satisfying. Mm-hmm. 24 hours, the worst issue of the series. But but I still still gotta gotta give an honorable mention to uh to Preludes and Nocturnes. Yeah, I have not asked what the worst issues of the series are. I don't want to focus on negativity. I was thinking, I was thinking about 24 hours. I was gonna say 24 hours. I think we can talk about that. I remember reading the first book. It is known. It is known. It's no good. It's just kind of like needless. It's kind of cruel and then I don't know, it's that's that nice. It just feels, it feels too edgelord It to me. does. <laughs> so, like, yeah. like, he was a relatively young man, and I feel like that's the only Again, part where it kind of shows. Was, Again, he was 12. So. Yeah, so, you know. 12-year-olds yeah. like edgy stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, bad enough that we spend, like, the entire issue in this diner where he, or Dr. Destiny, tortures six people to death yeah. with impunity. Um, but then also you have, like, the part where it's like, admit the worst thing you've ever done. Oh, I fucked your son in prison. <laughs> <laughs> That's twisted. That is that seems a little twisted. implausible. Only a twisted fucking psychopath could make yeah. that up. God dang. But oh. I want to go back to the footnote of a Game of You. Of yeah. Game of You. Yeah. And talk a little bit about Alianora. If we can do that without mm-hmm. spoiling Overture, which I don't know who has read. Overture? Which, you have, which we haven't covered yet. Mm-mm, I haven't read it. I have not read it. Is that one of the spin-off ones? One of the like, later no, ones? No, it's like Overture. a... Kind of like an... Yeah, kind of. Isn't that the one the, where... All the little side stories and stuff? Is they have, one? like, each 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 Deathless gets, like, their own part. Is that that one? Uh, that, is, or... that is Endless Nights. Oh, that's Endless Nights. I've read that one. Um, Overture is pretty recent. 2012, I think. Okay, I haven't read it then. And it's, like... It is a prequel. Oh, the basic idea okay. is, like, at the beginning of Sandman, when we meet... Morpheus, he's apparently weak enough that a human warlock can just summon him. Right, right. yeah. <laughs> and he shows up in his full regalia, his cloak and his helmet. Yes. And it's like, how did he end up in that state? Oh. What was the, what was the, the battle that he was in? That That's over. Made him so weak. Ah. Yeah, I gotcha. I have uh, all those issues over there on the vertigo pile on my uh, coffee table. All right. So that will probably happen sometime. Yeah. I have not read it, but, I, it? Do, but I do have all those books. Is it Neil Gaiman written? Yeah, it's Gaiman. Oh, okay, nice. But at the end of Game of You, we meet Alianora, implied to be Morpheus's ex mm-hmm. um, from a long, long time ago, for who he left the world of the land for her to inhabit. I guess. Wait, which which one of um, which one of Morpheus's exes was only like making it up that she was his ex? Only making it up? Oh, Titania? Oh, yeah, yeah, it was Titania. Titania, like, never had a relationship with Morpheus, but, like, at the funeral was, like, pretending. But Eleonora really did have a, have a relationship yeah. with Morpheus. Mm-hmm. Okay. It seems that way. She's, like, the most mysterious character in the series. We get these hints that she's somebody important. We yeah, know that he got... gave her one of his dream stones, that he left her, he gave her a world to live in, basically. And she shows up at the funeral, but we don't get to hear what she says. Right, yeah. Um, we see her. Neil Gaiman left himself one last plot hook to come back to. He did. You, you yeah. Know? As much as he wanted to conclude Sandman, he... Mm. Um, Just in case. He had to leave himself a plot hook. Had to give himself an in. An in. Yeah. yeah. One of the things we don't get to see much of is, like, interaction between... 
Daniel and people who knew Morpheus really well. Mm-hmm. Because it ends so soon after Daniel is introduced. There's a little of that There's in the There's a way. little bit, right? That's true. When That's he has lunch true. with destruction and that. Yeah, yeah. Do they ever get mad? Like, you're not a real brother! Well, like, Matthew kind of feels that way about him. He's like, you're not <laughs> yeah. my boss. I don't yeah, yeah, trust you, yeah, yeah. whatever. But, you know, Daniel's like, but I know you. We, we know each other. You know, you know, I, you're not him. You're not him. You're not the boss. He's just real, real curmudgeonly about it. But a few people are like that. Right, um, Daniel's kind of saying, we've known each other for a second. Right, like, yeah, yeah. I knew you before I died. And it's like, sorry, no, it's because <laughs> you know the rules. Right. right. <laughs> Your heart's been aching, but you're too shy to say it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so did you want, you you said you wanted to intersperse. Should we go back to a, a, get a, get a thematic question, or should we do another favorite? I mean, I think maybe Eleanor is a good lead into the idea of, like, uh, Morpheus not fully appreciating people. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah! <laughs> yeah. I, it seems like every single lover of his they introduced got... Got stiffed by got him. Got stiffed! Yeah. Got shafted in some way, shape, or form. We're not talking about sex here. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, they might have yeah. also gotten shafted! I don't actually know Ooh, if he can do that. I have no idea. I, I think no. it's safe to assume that he can do that. Yeah. I think he probably can. I, I think he likes doing that. <laughs> That's what we call... Here's today's hot take. Morpheus likes sex. <laughs> Go out on a limb. He calls them nocturnal emissions. Oh my god! Wait, he calls having sex nocturnal emissions? Yes. You know that's a different thing? He doesn't. That's why it's funny. 12 years old. It's. Yeah, 12 again, yes. Um, No, but I mean, like, he. uh, His behavior towards uh, Nada, especially, struck me as pretty thirsty. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think there's I think there's a, a clear uh, post-coital moment between him and Nada mm-hmm. right before mm-hmm. she jumped off that cliff. Yeah, this is a scene. The same man fucks. <laughs> Sorry, whenever whenever anybody <laughs> uses that word, I just think about uh, the Big Lebowski. Coitus. Coitus. <laughs> the worst word for sex, hands down. Coitus. 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 Yeah, but yeah. going down the list. But yeah, he yeah. doesn't really seem to have a ton of regrets as far as those people he's ditched and stuff like. I don't know. He just he just I feel like forgets him, What he you know? kind of seems like is he he always just like kind of finds a way to make himself the victim. Yes, or, you yeah, know? Well, yes, like he definitely does He's that classic sure, whiny like, goth kid. She yeah. left me, and if I remember correctly, the reason she left him, she was like the queen of one of like the first cities yes. on earth. And then because she was shacking up with an immortal, like something horrible happened to her city. Right? It was like glass, and then it all melted, or something like that. Something like that. And she committed suicide, from what I recall. And Morpheus makes it all about him. Yeah, she left me. I think another area where we see that same aspect of his personality, the not appreciating people, is his uh, stubborn yet convenient resolve to not become involved in the affairs of mortals. It's like something terrible is happening and he's and he's like, do something. Yeah. Why would I do, do something? something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes he does do something, it seems like. Sometimes like, he, he, is, when, he when, can be. When it serves him. When it serves him, exactly, yeah. When, it, when, it, when it's all about, yeah, when he benefits from it. You know, this is one of the things that I was thinking about earlier. We were talking about his, his various um, personality flaws. Mm-hmm. And he is, I think, definitely like the most imperious of the endless. He's the one that's like, I'm I'm a god. You treat me with respect. Yeah, I got my own realm. I'm godier I'm, than a god. Yeah, yeah. Death yeah. is like very colloquial. He's like, like, hey, yeah, I'm gonna take you to the afterlife now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He seems to have some airs about him, doesn't he? As mm-hmm. far as like, you know, he thinks he's kind of a big deal. He's sort of like uh, he's sort of like President Bartlett on the West Wing. You know, he's sure. just like he's you will respect and... my office. <laughs> <laughs> you will respect. 
He gives uh, a lot of very rousing speeches that uh, center-leaning liberals of uh, middle age still still cite as a, you know their 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 end goal for political civility. See, Marcus understands. There's always an answer. As long as he can tell the stirring speech, he can convince even the his staunchest opponent to turn to his side. But he doesn't actually do that. That's, just, that's West Wing. That's what happens. Not that's but, more Bartlett. Yeah, 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 yeah. More Bartlett yeah. and more. Yeah. But they both want their office respected. Yeah, yeah. Saying, yeah this is what we're saying. You salute the rank, not the man. Is Morpheus a cop? <laughs> Is Morpheus a cop? <laughs> Hot take number three. Hot take. Morpheus is a pig. I mean, if NBC gets their hands on yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, they made Lucifer a cop, so why the fuck yeah. But I do think that, like, the, the goth kid characterization is more accurate than the fuck up and forget him. Yeah, characters. yeah. Because, yeah. because he is kind of selfish about his relationships, but he is also, like, deeply romantic. Mm-hmm. He has a lot of romantic illusions about himself. Mm-hmm. And one of them is that he is a great romantic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's true. Point. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> well, self deception is kind of his his bailiwick. He's the he's the god of stories. He's well, a, yeah, exactly. self deception and everybody else deception, and mm-hmm. and you know helping people with their own self deceptions. Yeah, he's all about telling stories and being part of their story. The story is perhaps more important than the, uh, yeah, the truth. Than behind. the truth. Yeah. Well, let's talk about dreams, stories, and storytelling for a minute. Okay. He is the the prince of all that is not. Yeah. So both imagination and lies. Mm-hmm. Fiction. There was that character who, and I regret that I'm not more familiar with this off the top of my head, didn't refresh myself on this particular aspect, but there is that character who is living, serving on a boat and living as a, as a boy. Jim. 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 Yes. Um, In uh, Hobbes Leviathan. Yep. Right. Yeah, yeah. In his dream. But that was real, right? That was real? Was that real? I'm thinking another little she boy. Was really I'm pretty sure that was real. That was real. Okay, that was real. Yeah, yeah. that was real. But yeah, like, uh, Morpheus always happy to uh, to assist somebody in keeping a secret. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. perhaps redefining themselves. But he is, you know, representative of the idea of storytelling and he we see him like give talent to william shakespeare well, yeah he, he commissions some two plays out of him yeah, yeah. I mean, midsummer night's dream and tempest, and we, tempest can, we, can, yeah. we can both think morpheus for those and it's very neil gaiman like to say i want the hero of my story to be the concept of telling yeah stories. Right, yeah, yeah that's yeah. a very gaiman concept but i think there we are stories at the time but that is his shtick <laughs> <laughs> but i think there are stories in the in the series that do a good job of conveying like this is why storytelling is great why it's important you're right yeah and i think you know it kind of goes back to even how he, he dies at the end, like having mm-hmm. Matthew there to tell the story mm-hmm. of how he went out, right? It's, it's just to, to have, a, have a, a, someone to keep his, keep his legend going. And even, yeah. yeah. It's so it, cold, though. I, I it's like very to, cold. I like to imagine that he, he kind of wanted a friend well, there. I think as well, lonely, but Ryan. I think he understood that, you know, like... You know who wants to die alone, Ryan? Well, you know, I know, I'm just saying. I'm, not, I'm just saying. I think, like, even in, even in his death, he was thinking, like, how can, how can this be a story? How can I... You talk about him wanting to go to hell and, like, you know, trying to go up against some great force to, to get himself fucked up, right? Mm-hmm. That's the story he wants to tell about himself. Mm-hmm. And it only really works out in the end. Well, and that's um, something that he talks about. There's a repeated line of, like, we are what we choose to be. Mm-hmm. That, like, the way that you tell a story about yourself is, is how you decide who you are and who you want to be. Sure, yeah. Sometimes yeah. it's quite literal, right? Isn't there a story arc where it turns out that the reason humans are now masters over cats is because it used to be the other way around, but humans yes. literally just dream so much about being, like, the apex predators and having power over cats that it swaps? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Dream of a thousand cats. Yep. And yeah. if enough, if a thousand cats can dream it the other way, it'll yeah. change. I 
love yeah, the I'm implication that the cat cats are just like so lazy and apathetic yeah. that that's never gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> like it could, yeah. but it won't. That's a spoiler for one of my, my favorite issue. I think is that I love the cats issue. Yeah. That was my favorite. So seeing seeing Morpheus as a big scary cat it was good. Yeah. yeah, Cat Morpheus is definitely worth a, a repeated mention. Top notch. While we're, while we're talking about the importance of stories, we have to give a shout out here to uh, the World's End uh, story arc, which is story arc consisting entirely of just people telling, like sitting in a yeah. tavern yes. and mm-hmm. telling stories. Stories within stories, too. Yeah, like, sure. it, gets, it gets convoluted. A Petrofax's tale gets, uh, the, the Necropolis tale gets down to like, down to like six layers deep. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is appropriate because they also he also goes pretty deep into those catacombs, you know. Mm-hmm. There you yeah. go. Or he yeah. doesn't, but uh, his teacher did. I think it's okay. Petrofax is the student. Klaproth is the master. It was Klaproth's master, Veltus, who went into the catacombs. Right. Christ. So, Inception. Petrofax, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure Inception. Fuck all that numbers. <laughs> um, pretty sure. Before we move on from World's End, I also want to throw out the moment where Chloricon says. <laughs> says, uh, after that I had a completely boring sword fight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he sword fights with three guys down the that's stairs, just, and then at the end of the story he says, okay, I made up the part about the sword fight. Yeah, he said it was a boring sword fight, but he was relying on it to add color. Yeah. Um, so I think Dream of a Thousand Cats is a good segue to talk about uh, favorite single issue. Favorite single issue story. <laughs> So Dream of a Thousand Cats has to be an honorable mention for me, as does Three Septembers and a January. Mm. But my top choice has to be uh, Song of Orpheus. That's a good one. That's a good one. I, I read this morning when I was like reading stuff to refresh my memory that that is like widely considered one of the best in this series. It's quite good. It's epic. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, it is a one-issue story. Kind of central to the plot, but it is a single-issue story. It's a bit of a cheat, uh, to pick it as your favorite single issue story, since it does have so much plot significance. But yeah, uh, I'm, I'm doing it anyway. It I'm doing it anyway. I'm cheating. She's doing it. He's I'm, doing it. I'm going cheating there. fair and square, just like the Astros. <laughs> <laughs> How timely. Um, yeah, I was going to say a Thousand Casts is probably one of my favorites. Anytime it kind of like does one off story like that. I like the one, oh, what's, um, I think it's called Convergence. It's the one about Baba Yaga. Uh, oh yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know if it's oh, the old virgins though. The hunt. The hunt, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Yes. it's like that old that old Eastern European Jewish folk tale sort of thing. Right? I love that issue. That's that one one's my cool. Phase. Yeah. Um, but is that only one issue or is it multiple? Yeah, it's just one. It's just oh, one. it's just one? Oh. I like uh, also I like the first one when Death shows up. I think the Sound of Her Wings is really good. Yeah. Yeah, that's a classic. It's a classic. And the yeah. conception of death is a classic mm-hmm. character. The art is really nice in that. I mean, going back to your go back to your guy. Yeah. yeah. And she bounces Same. a baguette off of yes. the head. <laughs> and it, that comes back in the end with the bread. It's so good. I yeah. think the art in The Sound of Her Wings is, that, is, that also is actually Sam not Keith? by Sam Keith. It is by Mike Dringenberg and Malcolm Jones 3. Okay, didn't know that. Oh. But either way, the art is cool. It, the art is really It's good. unique. And I like, again, great introduction to that character. Yeah. I always wish death was like my older sister. I mean, like, not with the power to, like, kill people. Really <laughs> but just, like, a cool and and spunky, and she she supports you, but she also, like, tells you what you need to hear. She calls you on your shit. She calls you on your shit. Definitely. But no, 
my sister got arrested at Detroit Metro Airport for punching her boyfriend inside an airplane. So that's yeah. Where's the justice in this world? Where's the justice Well, in she called him on his bullshit. She definitely. She, she punched him inside an airplane? So they were punching each other in an airplane. Not punching, like, elbowing. Anyway, what I'm saying is... Death okay, okay. We're, t- we're talking about favorite issues. Death is awesome. Death is awesome. Yeah, we read. Death is cool. I really love her. Yeah. I just want to point out that you said that she punched him inside an airplane, and the <laughs> visual that I immediately got was that, <laughs> was that he went <laughs> through, through the wall. The <laughs> right. Punched the uppercut into the atmosphere. He, he had been <laughs> outside of the airplane, but she punched him inside. <laughs> Do that, then I would rescind my comment about preferring death to <laughs> That would be pretty awesome. So my favorite single issue story, as you had mentioned before, Ramadan. Ramadan's oh, great. I like Ramadan a lot. It's a a lot. classic. I think yeah, the art is really about... gorgeous and detailed, and it's just like a cool story. It's like, yeah, Baghdad gets to live forever, but just not in the way that you were expecting. Yeah, the king wants the city to live forever, and it does as a story. As a story, it's just kind of like an emblematic of the whole series, right? Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. That has the part where, not probably not the best part of the issue, but my favorite part of the issue is the elaborate like dungeons and hidden paths that he has to go through in his own palace. <laughs> To get to the orb. The orb yes. full of demons. Yeah, yeah that's yes. fun. That's fun. Waste Drawn 2 is really cool. Yeah. Palace stuff. For sure. Joanna, you have a favorite? I mean, I already said cats. You didn't that. say I, cats. I, I, I love that uh, that <laughs> rumple teaser. Cats oh, is yeah. So, yeah. 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 Shank, the railway Jenny, cat. any dots. The cat of the railway train. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. No, I just, I love the dream of a thousand cats, so. That's uncreative because All I right. already said it, but. Then talk about Mr. Mistopheles some more and talk about. <laughs> Uh, Buster for Jones and mm. Old Deuteronomy and uh, 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 Macavity. Macavity. It's just naked and... Idris Elba. Yeah. So uh, I have a quotation. So just there. jot that down. For <laughs> 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 later. Naked. He doesn't have any junk Idris. though, so it's, I don't you know, need to write Elba because if I see Idris, I will know who I'm you talking know. about. Yeah, <laughs> you don't know how many people called Idris. DJ Big Dress. Um, don't watch cats, guys. It's well, you should. <laughs> also, but also do watch cats because it's very, very. I'm. I'm frightening. Heard, I heard that they, they've. I heard that they've modified. Well, they did. They added a DLC so, pack to the movie where they fixed so, the CGI. A little yeah, bit. like, but I not enough see, though. I want to see the real shit. Version. Well, we, we found we found a Russian video where someone filmed it on their phone. We wanted to see the version where they actually had like Judy Dench has like human hands and like yeah, yeah that's the version we wanted to see okay. and we saw that uh, uh, and it in was the world. they forgot to CG over um, Ian McKellen in one scene so. He He's just like this guy standing there at one point. He's just he's like, in the background. He's an old man wearing a fur coat. It's like <laughs> fucking what? terrible. But um, Kelly uh, Kelly Joyce Fielder, who does the music for our podcast, mm-hmm. is a uh, is a professional theater maker and very much a theater person. So I thought it would be fun if we could see like the you know full nonsense version of cats. Oh, I yeah. mean, I'm sure I'm sure <laughs> you can find it. I mean, I feel like I heard what I heard that the DLC didn't actually fix anything. It, like, it I heard it actually bit. still has mistakes in it. So Maybe that's our next podcast is watching cats. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about cats. That's a good OVA like I watch. Said, I like to avoid negativity. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's a movie I finished watching with Joanna and I was like that movie was so weird and bad, but I want to watch it again. <laughs> and she did not want to watch with me again, so I didn't. I didn't want to watch it the first time. I know, but I made you because I love you. <laughs> and he's circling. He's underlining. Circling Naked and... Elba. All right, he's got it. So I Homework. have a quotation here. This is this is a quotation from Eric, and it says, "What is the real stuff that's left when the story is done?" Mm. So I think in terms of like talking about the storytelling concepts put forth in the series, we do need to talk about like what's the difference between 
just getting like super attached to characters and being really into something that is ultimately not true versus yeah. like what do you learn from a story what do you gain from it good question it's pretty deep like is that just like a sort of rhetorical thing to ponder or do you expect us to actually well we can we can we can <laughs> talk on that because yeah, yeah on it, right? if y'all can come up with some ideas well i think it depends on the story right like a, a well-told story will have something yeah. you know that you that you take away whether it's like instructional or inspiring or just like something that helps you to process your own grief mm-hmm. you know sure um but but it can it can be any of those things or all of them i mean i can say that i've definitely met people in the past well one person their whole line was um i only ever read or watch nonfiction. i don't see the point in reading or watching things that didn't actually happen huh. yeah i hate that that really pissed me off that really pissed me off because like there's a massive amount of um value to be found in that those kind of stories yeah, that can connect you to like more intangible things like your own humanity your place in the world emotions that you maybe thought you were alone in feeling but it turns out every other human being on this planet like can relate and uh, yeah, just... um it makes you think about things from different angles. I, I think it's like massively important to your development as a human being. I think yeah, it gives, but, it gives you empathy. It gives you connection to other people. That's that you true. Have that's true. Right? Like, that's well, fiction true. is like the most pure gaze into someone's brain, right? Like by reading this, I feel like you can understand Neil Gaiman as a person. You know, like you feel like you have a really good sense of like how he thinks about stories, how he looks at you know the way that people perceive themselves and perceive <laughs> others like you have a real good sense of, of him as a, as a guy like i'm sure uh, we've all had the experience where we've been reading something and it articulates something that we have also mm-hmm. felt but we never were able to put it into words yeah like, that's, 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 that's that's the value that's the power of stories it. right yes is that connection you can yes make. but no but by all means please go watch your 1000th like world war ii hitler's bunker <laughs> 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 we're just like i mean I, I feel like that that line of reasoning could be used to justify all sorts of terrible reactions absolutely yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah that's a good point yeah, yeah. Well, reality tv isn't that's, really that's, something that really happens that's all fiction too it, like, it is like i mean they have writers yeah like, yeah they, they, have, they have story crews they come up with like you know yeah but i've known that that i've known people who felt that way not um not about all media like they were okay with some fiction but they wouldn't read fictional books i think is that that's like the one that i so read. Watch, yeah. like, watch like movies and yes TV shows. Yeah, the person movie. i'm referring to was the same yeah, they'll watch movies and TV shows, but it, when it, when it comes to books, only nonfiction. That's so weird. And I, I, I hate that. That makes no sense to me. Like, especially since, like, I don't know, I, I just think that, like, uh, maybe this is just the English major in me talking, but I think that, like, so much of our the greatest stuff about our culture is in novels. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 In that's, fiction. That's yeah. true. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, too. You mentioned, like, reading this, you get an idea of who Neil Gaiman is. And it's really interesting how this is, like, his breakthrough project that gave him his fame and it's a commercial project Mm -hmm. for a a massive comic book company but it also i mean you can really tell the extent to which this is a passion project for him Mm -hmm. this is something he really cares about yeah i mean i don't think he sees himself as dream necessarily but i think he can relate you know maybe he's he might look the part a little he's got the hair i don't think he's i don't think he's a mopey guy no but you know you can tell like he's he's thinks about this stuff you know it's uh yeah he's he's I mean, that's what, me, that's what I got away from Sam, man, walking away from that. Like, that's what I took away from it, is just, like, it gets you, gets you kind of excited to think about stories. It gets you excited about, like, you know, wow, like, you can do a lot with just, you know, 
the, the, the story or a lie or whatever. Like you can, it seems I don't know a lie gets me all revved up. I don't know. I read it and I'm like, this is cool. You know, I, like makes, I, it, gets me, makes me feel like I want to do something like this. I want to do, you know, I'd like to tell stories that have this impact. That'd be that'd be really cool. I finish uh, reading Sandman, and the first thing I wanted, I just want to go to a bar where no one knows me and just lie to people. There you go. <laughs> that is the kind of value that Neil Gaiman is trying to foster, I think. Like, I'm, I'm just back from Spain, and yeah. I have a terrible secret. <laughs> and you know, that might be a terrible thing to do, is just lie to a bunch of strangers, but it, it, it shows it wants you to, like, go out and, you know, use your imagination, you know? Like, yeah. Gets, yeah. You, gets you maybe connecting some dots you wouldn't connect otherwise, so... Years and years ago, I was in a, a forum, uh, role-playing games, tabletop role-playing mm-hmm. forum, and there was a big kind of hullabaloo when it came out that two of the members of the forum, who were pretty popular and uh, and who had claimed to be a married lesbian couple, turned out to both be the same dude. Oh, <laughs> oh my god! Well, what a story, are they? <laughs> I feel like if that happened now, it would be like the least surprising thing ever. But yeah, that's, that's, at the time it was probably shocking. Right? No, yes. no, that's the internet. Um, yeah. <laughs> But what was interesting about it was, too, was, like, there were people who said, oh, I've known that all along. I tracked their IP address. That oh, man. <laughs> and other people were really furious that people had sat on this news. Because it's like, no, they were really close friends of mine. Right, yeah. I am furious that I could have known this and I didn't well, know Well, that guy was a really close friend of yours, then, evidently. Well, so let's see. <laughs> yeah. I, I think to a certain extent there's, like... I mean, you don't really know anybody anyhow. You're just you the person the person that you know is something that they've constructed in the, in this sense more so maybe than more in most literally. cases. But, but you know, like because, that's, that's every human interaction. Did you guys That's kind of terrifying in its way. Yeah. Did you guys ever hear about hivliving.tumblr.com? What? No. Okay, oh, man, so it's one. like it's like what Sean described but on steroids. So this <laughs> this chick was supposedly, like, half Chinese, half Indian, also Native American, a victim of human trafficking, had HIV, had a wife who was also HIV positive and unable to conceive, so they had adopted a bunch of, like, underprivileged children, and it turned out, surprise, surprise, she was a 19-year-old white college student, but she ran this blog called HIV Living that was, like, one of the most prominent HIV advocacy blogs, like, on Tumble, and she didn't have HIV, she was just really into it, and the whole... The whole Whoa. reason, the whole That's reason, rough. but get this, guys, the whole reason she invented this persona <laughs> is because someone tried to call her out for being problematic for writing a fanfic in which all the characters from Hamilton were HIV positive high school students. So this must have all un- unfolded relatively recently. It was like 2017. The genesis of this blog was the was the show Hamilton. The, yep, the yeah. show Hamilton. Yeah. And somebody called her out and said, you can't write about HIV char- positive characters if you don't have HIV. And she said, guess what I do? Also, I was human trafficked. Also, I'm a lesbian that's with a, an Indian that's that's totally how representation is supposed to work. That's, right. that's, that's how we improve rep- rep- representation. Right? Is right? by saying you can't write this uh, underprivileged class of character right? unless you yourself are, are that character. Oh, one more wrinkle: the person who came after her, <laughs> the person who came after her for writing HIV positive characters was getting revenge because previously said white college student went after this chick for writing a fanfic in which Thomas Jefferson and Lin Manuel Miranda were, were cannibal mermaids giving each other blowjobs. <laughs> I don't and think she I would. Her, she nah. her, this is the best part, guys. She told her she was gentrifying cannibalism. But mermaids Means nothing. <laughs> but mermaids don't have genitals. And this one they do. This one they do. Well, that's all right because I don't think I would trust a cannibal to do that service. I yeah. mean, that's what I said. Sounds like a bad idea. Uh, yeah, but yeah, to, to bridge those two insane stories. Anyway, that, what but, we're saying is people, people lie a lot. No, I'm saying like in both situations. 
there are people who are incredibly pissed off at this, right? But yes! Could be lied they, to, right? Because they trusted them. What I'm saying is that Daniel has a lot to answer for now that I hear the kind of story. Yeah, <laughs> right! Now, at the same time, are there people in both communities who are also kind of like, good one. Kind of be like, you got me. <laughs> I wonder. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like with the story, uh, it's ridiculous. Nathan, Philly, and Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> good one. Good one. That actually reminds me, is speaking of tabletop gaming, I think we just had the session, you know, me and me and my uh, players are on, like, maybe session 10 or 12 now of our D&D campaign. Um, well, 10 or 12 for, like, some of my players, 7 or 8 for the third one. But You are a game master in Curse of Strahd. Yes. Ah, uh, the yeah. vampire story. Yeah, and I think they, they just got to the point where they realized that, like, Sometimes I make stuff up that's not in the book. Oh, <laughs> did somebody like? You have to tell us more about what the tell was, because did somebody like know what was in the book and be surprised? Or well, okay, so I, I uh, spoilers, possible spoilers for Curse of Strahd here, but um, Strahd's a vampire. They, Fuck. <laughs> but um, they met the girl who thinks she's a cat. <laughs> And they were like, the and they were like, yeah. you are pulling this out of your ass. There is no way there's a girl who thinks she's a cat in the Curse of Strahd book. And I was like, listen, I am the dungeon master. I am free to make up whatever nonsense I want to. But this girl's in the book. <laughs> she's right here on page 112. Great. Game now. Like the the world is whatever I say it is. I am right. I am as a god to you. Yeah, yeah, they should roll but, with it. Yeah. But <laughs> this is from the Cat Girl's Real. <laughs> I'm a player in a different curse of Strahd, and it is likely that another player and I are going to come to blows over that girl. Really? Yeah, because he's <laughs> really known this girl. Because in our version, I guess she has some kind of kleptomania, and he's his whole thing is like I go berserk if someone steals from me, but I, I will uh I will fight to the death for that kid. Save that cat. Oh, game. so your characters are going to come to blows, not you. In real life, too, they're going to kill each other. They're going to murder each other. Did I, did I confuse the issue? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I'm just, I'm saying our characters are going to fight in the game, and then if his character wins, we're going to fight in real life. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be on. Can That's we the talk of the Strahdcast? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There, I'm, I think there's probably I think there's probably like five podcasts about Curse of Strahd actually, but um, somebody probably even got it, that title already. It is, yeah. it is incredibly popular. But um, can we talk about our favorite dreams? Well, that's out of order, but yeah, absolutely. Our okay, favorite, so. the dreaming characters. Favorite dream, by which I meant dreaming character, but you thought I meant dream that somebody has, which is also perfectly also interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah. And also, like, other mythological characters are in there, too. Sure. So, mine is pretty simple here. My favorite is Matthew, because I get to do the voice whenever I read his dialogue. Okay. My second favorite is Lucian, because you do the voice whenever, <laughs> whenever you read his dialogue. Like, those are the two most fun that we have with voices, so those are my two favorites. I'm a big Matthew head, too. Matthew rules. He's a bird. His speech bubbles look cool. They got orange. They're all scratchy. You can you can hear how he talks just by reading it, which I think is fantastic. He used to be a human man in Swamp yeah. Thing. Yeah, but, yeah. But now he is a bird. And he's he read his, his words, and you can hear it in your head as he would say it, which is incredible. See, I always imagine him as having, like, a thick... New York. Oh, accent. definitely, definitely. Yeah. Oh, everybody's on the same yeah. page. Uh -huh. Oh, yeah. Even though sure. he's from Louisiana, so right? He actually, probably has Southern. A Southern accent. But like, you see the scratchy stuff, and like, he kind of talks, calls him boss, and everything. It sounds like boss. Yeah. yeah. 
You're like, oh man, this guy. I know this guy. My favorite is also Matthew. This is sort of Matthew. a recent change in opinion, but really? rereading okay. the kindly ones is like the the development that he goes through at the end of that story, mm-hmm. sort of facing the concept of dying again and deciding to stand with Morpheus anyway. Yeah, and eventually deciding to stay and be a good companion to Daniel as well is really compelling to me. <laughs> yeah, Matthew Matthew's great. In this house, we stand a legend. Mm-hmm. Legends Matthew. I mean, man. Previously, I probably would have sent Cain, Cain and Abel, but then when I was rereading recently, I got to that part where Merv Pumpkinhead like unloads. Oh, Merv is good. Uh, Merv's weapon, so like, that's probably because everybody else is ready to just like lay down and die, and he's like, hell no. You know what? Merv's my second choice, man. I love Merv. <laughs> yeah, I, love, I mean, very I, I saw a pumpkin. He's like, guy. did you think I'd crumble? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he will survive, dude. He's real. It's awesome. awesome. Like if if like if my world was ever you know like literally the fabric of reality is ever coming apart at the seams around me, like I hope that's that's how I go out. Just shooting an automatic. What we'd like to do is do a wheeled M16s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uzis would also be acceptable. And that's one of the first people that, uh, that, that, that Daniel brings back is, is Merv. It's yeah. Merv. He plants a pumpkin and the seed grows in minutes and it's a pumpkin It's fully grown. It's amazing. And I've never known a pumpkin to do that. It's very special. So I love it. I, I love it. Yeah. Uh, that's why I'm saying Merv. Yeah. He tries to bring back, um, what's his face? Oh, Fiddler's Green. 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 Fiddler's I, n- I don't think I ever saw so, one. So, how do you feel? Like, what was it like? It was. Speak, tell us about this. Yeah, I want to know. Was, it was like, it, you know, it was like being in a dream. <laughs> oh. Actually, it was really more like being in a video game. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what video game would that be? Medieval. Medieval, yeah, medieval. Like, pumpkins, how yeah. did it differ from how in your head you maybe imagined pumpkin growing conditions? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know how, like, I, I you know, I always thought they grew on trees. Just a massive, just a <laughs> massive thing. When a pumpkin is done, it just falls. Yeah. No, right. no. Um, yeah, no, I don't, I don't know what I could have been expecting. But, uh, but it was but, that. It, it, was did it live up to your expectations, a pumpkin patch? Oh, it exceeded them. Exceeded them. Good, exceeded good, good. I mean, that's, I mean, that's probably a wonderful thing to see. I will annotate that I, I, I had probably seen one before without the pumpkins, actually. Like, just the, yeah, it's it's the, the patch part. The right, I, part. I had probably seen an empty pumpkin patch before, but I was 29 before I saw a pumpkin patch with pumpkins in. <sighs> wow, dude. Are you able to rate the sincerity of that pumpkin patch? <laughs> what? No. <laughs> <laughs> All pumpkin patches are inherently sincere. I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm kind of jealous, actually. I kind of wish like, that's an experience that, like, as a child, you just kind of take for granted, right? Right. But as an adult, you're like, damn, that's a lot of pumpkins. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. you can really just take it in. Yeah. Yeah. I just found out, like, last week that uh, all rhinestones are fake. <gasps> what? I mean, some of them are real stones and some are plastic, but they're all fake jewelry and that they're, none of them are valuable stones. Really? There's no oh. such thing as a, as a real rhinestone. It's a rhinestone cowboy. I was going to say, yeah. rhinestone Which cowboy. Which is exactly where I went. So that yeah. Glenn Campbell song is entitled Fake Cowboy. Fake Cowboy, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what the song is. Is that the point? <laughs> now I finally so, no, get that song. Uh, let me tell you something else. I thought that the song Wichita Lineman was about a football player. <laughs> Until, like, last year. Wait, what's it about? <laughs> it's about a guy who works on the telephone line. Oh! <laughs> it does look like a football guy, though, doesn't it? That's why yeah. in the Parks and Rec episode, Ron sings it while he's fixing the cable. Oh. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Glenn Campbell, weirdly easy to misunderstand. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> 
Man of mystery, Glenn. So you want to move on to our next category? Yeah. Let's do it. Should we talk about our favorite member of the Endless? Favorite Endless. Yeah, we can do that for sure. I think we can do that. So, no, that's not actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's skip it. So I feel like death is so universally likable that it would like probably be cheating to pick her. But if you pick her, no shade. I'm just saying I'm not going to pick her because she's so she's so likable. So I'm going to go with delirium and I will tell you why. When I was 13 or 14 and people first started telling me that I needed to read The Sandman, first of all, I said, I'm never going to read that because people won't shut up about it and I'm annoyed. <laughs> but second of all, right. they said, we all want to cosplay. It's a great way to make decisions. Yes! <laughs> I did make most of my decisions based on spite. That's why I won't watch BoJack Horseman. Too many people have recommended me. <laughs> but um, they said, we're all going to cosplay as the Endless and we want you to be Delirium because you're the most random. Rar. <laughs> Rar XD indeed. Rar XD. <laughs> one by one, the penguins are stealing her sanity. I really do like her though. I like her. I think she's. Fair. I think she's very endearing, and I also like the whole mystery of like why she turned from delight to delirium. I think so. she's like the nicest one. She is. You know, she's the she's one who cares sweet. about her brothers and sisters. She's yes. got a cool speech bubble thing. She she names the the homunculus they make Mr. Shaughnessy is that what they call him? Yeah, O'Shaughnessy. Mr. Shaughnessy Shaughnessy, which I yeah. think is very it's cute. cute. It's endearing. She has a goldfish on a string, which I love. That was her second choice. She wanted flippy floppy cheese. Yes, yes. <laughs> so that's what I'm going with. Yeah, I will say uh, even though it's kind of hazardous, I will choose death. Footnote, I'm not saying, I don't I want to die. I choose, choose death! <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just saying, but she is, like, a great conception of uh, of that concept of, like, a really sort of likable, friendly presence that could peacefully take somebody yeah. into the afterlife. Neil, Neil and Gaiman she's also came up, super nice. Neil Gaiman came up with a personification of death that feels, at the same time, totally original, but, like, also totally appropriate. Like, yeah. you can yeah. totally, like picture a world in which this is yeah and as well there is as we mentioned her tendency to cut through morpheus's bullshit yeah yeah she tells it like it is i really like the spin-off stories with her like time of your life and like the um high cost of living high. there you go high cost of living yes those are really good we gotta cover those sometime i haven't read them yet you should they're good I, like much like uh, sandman overture they're over there i yeah. got them but i don't i haven't just read them fumble death one-off story pretty low stakes but just you know it's good to see it's fun to hang out with her for a little bit as like the main character Honorable mention, destruction, because of his irrepressible enthusiasm, and the fact that he's terrible at art. <laughs> <laughs> so, destruction was was my choice, just because he's such an exuberant fellow, and he's got such a, a joie de vivre, and he tries so hard with his art, but oh, honey. <laughs> he has you know? so much enthusiasm and so little talent. Yeah. And he has that, that great dog. The dog is great. But... Honor, my honorable mention is actually despair. Okay, like I just right. deep cut. Yeah, she's 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 one of people. That's one of her by. favorite things. Deep cut. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just want to like throw a blanket on her and give her a big hug. Like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> put some clothes on, sad naked lady. Yeah. Like, oh, sad naked friend. <laughs> Which story arc is it? Has the scene where like. She's hanging out in her realm and rats are coming up and nibbling. Yeah. And it's like the rats nibbling on her fails to cheer her up. She's like, oh, <laughs> not even this makes me happy. <laughs> she's like, uh, she's like sadness and inside out. <laughs> yeah, yeah she, uh, she's or, or like a she's like a, a, an adult take on Oscar the Grouch. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I mean death is top notch. All the, all the demos are great, but I'm gonna go with the main man himself, oh. Mr. Dream. Because he's 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 a, a goth whiner 
but he's got cool magic. He's got great hair, sparkling eyeball, great speech bubbles. He's a great dresser. A fantastic fashion icon. Um, I almost want to have like a category. Nobody's prepared for this, but I almost want to have like a category of favorite dream outfit. Uh, besides, oh. besides the cat, uh, I, I really like him with the with the uh, the ruff, like the the Shakespearean <laughs> ruff. I love that. That's a, that's a great look. He pulls uh, it off. Great. I can't um, remember what issue it is, but we talked about it in the show notes of that issue. The one where I thought he looked like Prince. That's my favorite. It's <laughs> <laughs> always kind of like the V. There's like the the jacket with like the V. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good look with the shoulders. Does he ever wear a Kimono at any point because he seems uh, like the kind of guy in the Yushita Kimono when he does. Yeah, he like seems like like the type of dude who would totally wear a kimono at some. I just think he's he's interesting character, and I like it's fun to see have a main character who's not like a good person. I like him; he's kind of like a really flawed main character. He's not perfect. I'm sure Gothkis at the time thought he was, but you know, in retrospect, definitely a flawed character, and like. And given how much like Neil Gaiman worships the concept of stories, it would be easy to make this character like. Too like good. A, a perfect Mary Sue type character, right? But no, he's definitely like the most flawed character almost in the story. Well, it's interesting, you know, I, I, there are a, a lot of stories, perhaps not enough, but a lot of stories where the main character is not a particularly good person. Mm-hmm. But I think what Morpheus gives us that very few stories give us is he's a main character who is often not particularly interested in the events. No, no. <laughs> he's pretty, yeah. pretty aloof a lot of the time. Right. You know? um, he just kind of wishes he didn't have to be there. Which I, I can relate, you know, I've been in that situation, you know? There's that um, bit in the Season of Mists where Death is running ragged trying to handle the fact that the damned have returned to Earth. Yeah. And he's like, just kind of yeah. he's just kind of chilling with all the gods, having yeah. dinner in his house. Right. He's just so so haughty. I love his just like his, his he's got a good attitude. I think it's fun. He's a really well realized character Definitely. as the main character. Yeah, of course, that makes sense. But and I like the outfit that he wears in Ramadan with the flames yes. on the bottom of the cloak. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah, totally That's right. really dope. Sick outfits. Again, fashion icon. Uh, I think everybody named a favorite dream outfit but you. My favorite dream outfit? Uh, I'll, oh, just thought, say, I'll just say kimono. Yeah, I thought your answer was theoretical kimono. It's theoretical, theoretical kimono, but oh, now that I know that there was an actual kimono, I didn't kimono, realize that's I what you were doing. Kimono. Have you not read Dream Hunters, Joanna? Huh? Have you not read Dream you Hunters? You kimono? Yeah. Yeah, I read it. Then you would know of it. Um, I read it like 10 years ago. Okay! <laughs> We're really late to the party on this Sandman thing, did. actually, considering that we are the official Sandman podcast. Yeah. <laughs> you got around to it eventually. <laughs> I just feel like he seems like, I'm, I don't even know that we could, like, canonically say he's Caucasian, but he just seems like the kind of gothy white guy who would just wear a Well, kimono. he's Caucasian to you, because you are. Yeah, he's, oh! like, he's, like, he's like Galactus, where, yeah, he, or he's, where or he's, he needs to be. Or he's Caucasian to Neil Gaiman. It, it it does seem like his default form is the Caucasian dream because of the fact that when somebody else sees him, he looks different. Mm. Yeah. No, I, I will say, I'm looking at his kimono right now. It's not, it's kind of, it's, I don't know, it's, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> it's like kimono-ish, but... Uh, he's also got some shoulder pads in there. He's got some shoulder there. pads going. He's got a cool sort of Dracula collar on It's her. an 80s kimono. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. pretty sick. He's got a bunch of medallions and stuff. But again, it's oh. Yushitake Mono drawing it, so it's going to have like a ton of accoutrements that, you know. Are completely impractical. Just, just beautiful. Ah. They do nothing. Yeah. Should we talk about our favorite mortal? Yeah, sure. We can do that, yeah. Okay, my favorite mortal who appears in the pages of Sandman is Batman. Oh. <laughs> That's not a real answer, Eric. <laughs> You're cheating. Cheating. My, my second favorite mortal who appears in the pages of Sandman is Mark Twain. In Three Septembers in a January, Emperor Norton says, 
I, Norton One, hereby proclaim that Samuel Clemens, newspaper man who also writes under the nom de plume of Mark Twain, is made by royal appointment official spinner of tales and teller of stories to these United States of America for the duration of his mortal lifetime. Norton One, Emperor. Mark Twain replies, For the duration of my mortal lifetime, huh? That's pretty big of you, your majesty. Oh. Um, so he's my second favorite. So that's my second favorite. My third favorite mortal who appears in the pages of Sandman is Hobgadling. Is he mortal, though? <laughs> that's what I was going to say for mine, too. I, I was like, he's oh, he's good, but he's, that. he's done die. By, by mortal, I think we mean, you know, not, a human beings that live in the corporeal world. Yes. Favorite mortal. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Batman is legit. He appeared at the beginning, arresting Dr. Mm-hmm. Destiny, and mm-hmm. again at the end, he went to the funeral. Yeah, he's in two issues of Sandman. Yeah, he he's, a, he's a recurring fucking character. Is Constantine a bad answer too? I mean, he's he's a he's a mortal, a mortal kind of. Right? I feel like he has more of an active role in the storyline than Batman. Yeah, does. <laughs> Constantine was a uh, Constantine was an honorable mention for me. He was one of the ones that I was considering when I was deciding whether or not I could do Hob. Yeah, I, Hob. I, I think Hob too. Hob is a fun character, an original to the story, and he gets really fleshed out. I mean, not exclusively, but in uh, Sunday Morning. That's a really good Hob issue. Mm-hmm. I think would have made a great last issue for the series. That would have been nice. Yeah, nice little cap to their story. Hob's good choice. I like Hob. I have a number of honorable mentions. All right, let's hear. I find it hard to pick things. Some of whom have been mentioned before, like Hob and Emperor Norton, mm-hmm. uh, Rose, Petrifax and Master Claproth, Hazel and Foxglove. Oh, Foxglove, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. Nada, the Mother Cat. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, that's right. Cats are, yeah. Emperor Norton, uh, it's worth pointing out to just to remind our listeners it was real and was every bit as weird in real life as he is in yeah, his, that. in these books yeah yeah true story i mean the comic book is a true story yeah there you go except for the, <laughs> except for the parts with desire yeah, yeah. who is nobody's favorite actress <laughs> yeah, I don't know. desire is a flipping sex pest sex pests manipulative no i feel like there is like literally a point where like desire rapes somebody so i feel like that's hard to get i feel like that takes desire off the table the whole fucking desire is a bad person yeah a bad non-person but yeah the whole plot is set in motion by uh (laughs) by uh desire raping somebody slimy little shit my actual answer this may be a bit of recency bias i'm gonna pick william shakespeare shakespeare all right yeah Old Willie Shakes. He shows up a couple times and we like him. Willie Shakes. Oh, Bill. Shaky Bill. I love him because he's like one of the mortals who actually like talks shit to Morpheus. <laughs> like he's like, you know, why do you make me do this? He's like, kind of like talks back to him a little bit, which I think is fun. Yeah. Yeah, he's just, isn't happy to see him. <laughs> no. <laughs> God, this loser. Yeah. Well, I like Thessaly. Thessaly? Yep. I just think she's really scary. I just like the turn o- turnaround from her being like, this presumed, like, super vanilla, super boring, like, never goes anywhere or has any fun to, like, nailing faces to the wall. Like, I really like Is that. she mortal, though? Uh, is well, Hob? Well, Hob, <laughs> Hob is stated to be immortal. Thessaly's just yeah. very, very old. So, you know, she could be. She could not be. I don't know, but... That's your favorite non, non-dreaming. Non-dreaming. Or non-endless yeah, yeah, character. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. For sure. She's so awful. She's a horrible person. I'm that's why you like her. That's why I like her. Yeah. I'm not so sure she's a horrible person. She just has, like, her own set of aims and her own set of values, and she lives according to those values. And I respect it's it. It's fun. I respect it. I can respect yes. it. Yes. She 
did piss me off when she got all transphobic. That right. shit sucks. Oh, that's, yeah, that, that does not. That sucks. I think I'm going to blame that on it being written in the early 90s. And I don't think Neil Gaiman's transphobic. No, I think it's clearly not the point clearly of the story. Not the yeah, it's like, it's kind of this thing nowadays where, like, if a character expresses beliefs that are bad, it means that the person who wrote that character is also believes that stuff, which I think is the which stupidest is not, shit ever. Yeah, because, that is like, not at all Very true. clearly, they're trying to make Thessaly out to be a pretty nasty person, right? right. Like, and that's why they have those beliefs. So like, that like, part freaking sucks, but you set that aside. Set that aside. But again, like, <laughs> again that, but that defines her as the kind of person she is, right? I think yeah. she's really humanized when she has that big fight with Morpheus in The Kindly Ones. Oh, yeah, the, mm-hmm. the post-breakup fight, which is really, like, uh, it really feels real between those two people. Yeah, it's a very it's a very genuine moment, and I think it's tough to not side with Thessaly in that particular scene. In terms of her relationship with Morpheus, yeah, fair enough. She does, though, in that story arc, you know, contribute to the kindly ones killing Morpheus out of her rage at him, and then turn around and threaten Lyda. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but she's such a badass when she threatens Lyda, and like Lyda kind of has it coming for being like. For wreaking all this destruction herself. Mm-hmm. That, you know, I actually kind of liked that moment, too. Well, and Lyda is... Lyda is an unwitting instigator, whereas Thessaly at least knows what she's doing. Lyda is, like... She's extremely witty. Remarkably clueless yeah. the entire arc <laughs> yeah. as she's destroying the dreaming. Mm-hmm. I feel bad that none of us picked uh, Rose as our favorite. Rose is good. Rose is great. It really feels like she should have done more. Mm. Like, it, she just... I think she's a little underdeveloped. And it, it felt like... You know, it felt like big stuff was coming down the pipeline for her, and you think her plot got a little bit dropped. It, yeah, it yeah, just kind of it just kind of never arrived. Yeah, but Rose is like the decision that she makes at the end of both of the story arcs she's in is like weird shit is real, but I need to focus on living my life. Yeah, she she makes a choice to be out of this mm-hmm. stuff. I think she chooses to be out of the story. See, the way I remembered it though was that she was like, you know, this weird shit, like, killed this friend of mine, and I'm going to get to the bottom of it, you know? And so I guess I thought that she was going to become, like, a badass paranormal investigator, (laughs) you know, like a person, like a mortal, even though she's a mortal, she sees the world behind the world kind of thing. And that just never happened. <laughs> okay, yeah, I can see how, like, when she's introduced, and the, one of the first things we find out about her is that she is the best friend of Judy, who got killed in 24 right. hours, mm-hmm. that, that that could be where you imagine the character going, and that would be cool. That would be a cool way for her to have gone. Yeah, yeah it was good. I just, maybe, yeah. Maybe that's the point of her. Is maybe it... maybe she set the expectation, only not to provide them, you know? Like, it's, it's, how, it's how you would, you know, expect her to go in a comic book setting, right? It's the yeah. story, right? Like, she, like sure, of, she, wants, she doesn't want to be part of a story. She chooses like, to not not deal with all the mysterious crap that sort of an Elsa Bloodstone type. She mm-hmm. she could have become monster hunter, or like a, lady, right? a female mm-hmm. Constantine. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. With you know empathy, right? right. <laughs> Crucial ingredient. Cool. Well, uh, okay, so that's it for our favorite categories. We had another theme, did we not? But speaking of mortals, we we wanted to talk a little bit about, about the quantum universe theory, which, okay, that sounds weird, but... Quantum <laughs> universe Quantum theory. universe quantum. theory. <laughs> billions and billions. <laughs> <laughs> Carl, no one invited you! Don't mock Carl Sagan. No, we love Carl Sagan. Just, he's um, got a great voice. But no, the way that the universe of the Sandman, the, or the multiverse of the Sandman, like serves the psychological needs of people. The endless mm-hmm. kind of represent functions that people need to believe that the universe has. We know that hell exists because some people want to go there. Right. 
Lucifer has that line. Oh, that that great Lucifer line where he talk, he's talking about the people in hell and he says, like all masochists, they're the ones calling the shots. Right. <laughs> that has always stuck with me as uh, both a sort of insightful thing to say about kink and also <laughs> totally... I mean, as in that relationships is what they say it is. Like, the mascus is the one in control, so yeah. I read that. And it's also like a total... It's a very Lucifer thing to say. It's like a very character-establishing mm-hmm. line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Even though he kind of has a point given the cosmology of Sandman, not taking responsibility is also a Lucifer thing to do. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, it's it's not my fault or it's not... Or I was right all along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what are you gonna do? Literally nothing I could have done about it, so... There's a line in Kindly Ones, I think, about how he's like, the main reason he was still alive was to wait to the end of the universe and say, I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> That's really That's awesome. so him. But, uh, but yeah, Lucifer, as we're kind of discovering uh, when we get into Mike Carey's Lucifer series, is, you know, a big part of why he left hell behind is that the reason that he was sent to hell in the first place, the reason that he fell from heaven, is that he was sick of playing God's game, and he wanted to, like, do his own thing. And he realized, after, like, eons of running hell, that he still was playing God's, God's game, game and, and yeah. was not doing his own God thing. God made hell for him, And he's, right? like, he's, like, determined... It's like he's determined to find a way to, like, to blaze his own trail, you know, to set his own path in the world. Unfortunately, he is kind of playing chess against an infinitely intelligent chess master. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He like he wants to be God's opposite, and what he keeps finding him as, himself as is the villain right. in the story God wants to tell. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good way of putting it. Mm, yeah. I also like how his big decision to rebel and blaze his own trail took place canonically after three seconds. <laughs> Of creation. Yeah. <laughs> it's three seconds after he uh, was created. He's I like, I remember out. that line. I can't remember where that is from. It was in Sandman. It's somewhere in Sandman. Sandman? Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. It was three well, seconds. Let me introduce him. Yeah. Yep. Which I guess, like, okay. We talk about the fact that he's the, the lamplighter of God, that he his job was to light the stars. But that all happened. So was there like a while that they were setting up creation before uh, creation? Maybe. Well, or maybe. he made the decision three seconds after creation, but you know, towed the line for a while while secretly plotting. Like probably, yeah. I just thought it was like one, two, three. Wait a second, this sucks. <laughs> Wait, he's quite stewing on it for a while, right? Of course, that's also how Lucifer describes it, though. It might not even. It might be. It might be. That's the way he likes to think of himself. Like I was always a rebel, even though he might have actually. You know? Well, I just like the idea of like, oh my god, you created me, you created this beautiful existence, this is all so great, you know what, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> I changed my mind, I never asked for this, fuck you. <laughs> That's like, that was his thought process, he was, I bet you think you're so great. <laughs> I just really like the idea of all the angels putting the final touches on everything as the banner that says grand opening yeah, goes over the, the, the Garden of Eden. <laughs> <laughs> and Lucifer's like standing there like, Fuck this shit. <laughs> <laughs> shit sucks. She should be blue. <laughs> but in a way, that connects back to the theme of storytelling, too. Like, the universe gives us what we need in a story sense. So mm-hmm. Gives us what we need to understand reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, if all of... The endless. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think this was part part of what was implied. If all of the of the endless are aspects that that human beings need or need to understand, or does that imply that that despair and delirium serve a useful purpose to human beings, or just that you need to understand them because they're inevitable? 
I think it can be both things, right? Like, you know, you need you need the good with the bad, right? You know, if you don't have despair. Despair is so, like, that is such a strong emotion, though. Like, not just sadness. Like, everybody needs to be sad sometimes, but, like, despair? I think, yeah, I don't know. I think people, should, everyone has despair sometime, right? So maybe it's more just like it's an aspect of humans that is sort of like innate and it needs yeah, to be there's, there's understood person- or, 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 or dealt yeah. with. There's personifications of, mm-hmm. of things, yeah, big ideas mm-hmm. that humans have to grapple with throughout their lives, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because I was going to say, I don't think strictly speaking we need despair. It's just something No, that no, happens. but we need to understand it, though. Mm-hmm. The cane is like the embodiment of murder, but we don't need murder. We don't, we don't need murder. But it's murder. a thing that happens. Yeah. That concept has to exist. <laughs> right. We understand it through that story. Right, them as, as characters, right? Like we can, the concept of murder, we can understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, they talk about the endless being much older than the human. Right, human, human, human. They're like they're kind of like the the yeah. They're just they they're, talk about them being you know as old as the universe, but they also uh, uh, Morpheus talks especially in the Doll's House about like mm-hmm. humans are our masters. We are here to to perform a function for them. Right. Yeah, they're they're kind of gods, but kind of their own thing. I don't know. It's kind uh, of gods, but kind of constrained. Yeah, well, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they live according to rules. Yeah. They have very strict guidelines. Yeah. Although Desire doesn't seem to care about it. Desire doesn't so give a shit about doing anything. What it wants. Yeah. I feel that, like we... that's nature of Desire, though, isn't it? Desire doesn't follow well, that's logic, true. right? Yeah. yeah. I feel like we wandered off a, a little bit. Did we? Did we talk enough about uh, about quantum theory for you to? <laughs> we, I mean, we can we can get okay. back to it. I mean, how do you guys feel about that as a cosmology? You know, this idea that like. Heaven and hell and Norse heaven, etc. Et yeah, well, exist because somebody believes in them or somebody needs them. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think it's fun. It's like the new game is tied up, talked about this in other stuff. Like that's that's it's very American. American gods. Gods, the whole plot. Yeah. Of yeah. And like even even Bast at the end in, in the wake, which he's like, you know, uh, when when a little boy sees a kitten and thinks it's a goddess, you know, like she gives that little bit of energy, just enough belief, mm, yeah. that enough enough. Some, someone's thinking about her in that way, but she's able to go to to the the wake. Right, yeah, yeah, that is a cool moment. That's really fun. I like, I like that. that. I think as yeah. a storytelling idea, it perhaps works better than as a uh, philosophical concept. Okay. But it's a fun kind of unifying theory of mythology, right? It kind of, like, connects all these things. It makes them, like, oh, yeah, they all count in this in this, in this cosmology, if, right? Yeah, if you want to tell a story that, like, draws characters from lots of different... You know, I, I think uh, you got... Um, no, never mind. That's not a Sandman issue. There's Winnie the Pooh shows up, but it's a, that's a Hellblazer issue. Ah. Never mind. <laughs> oh, yeah. True. I was going. I was going to say if you wanted to, to tell a story that has both Odin and Winnie the Pooh in it, you know. I mean, Winnie is, the Pooh could be in there. We don't know. This is like a really good concept yeah. for you, but uh, but yeah. Which I guess you know, Hellblazer takes place in the DC universe. So if Winnie the Pooh sure, shows yeah, up, then so technically yeah. he's in the Sandman world. That issue in which this is all sort of set out, in which. Morpheus visits Lucifer in hell. They they close up hell is a really great one. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a good story. But yeah, I I think uh, as a plot device for bringing together a lot of different characters and for providing god-like characters with motivations, that quantum theory is, is really cool. I just kind of can't take it seriously, like on a philosophical, like, as as a part of a deep philosophical conversation about the nature of the real world. I well, kind of roll my eyes at it. I think you could okay. make an argument that it kind of shows the connection between all the stories that all throughout time, you know, the mythologies of the past still have connections to things we're telling nowadays. You know, like the same sort of stories. Like by combining them in this way, it gets you to think about the, like how they are so similar to each other, or how they have, you know, how they're linked in some way. They all have these aspects, you know? right? Because yeah. there are because there are ubiquitous things in human psychology mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. are that are served right um right. by these stories yeah 
yeah, the, from like the hero's journey down to like you know creation myths. They're all they're all you know still the kind of stories we're telling ourselves, just more special effects nowadays. You know, well, <laughs> <laughs> the idea that like uh, that like superheroes and comic books and mm-hmm. TV are our modern mythology. Yeah, is one that many people have tackled to varying degrees of success. Right. Yeah, and I I, I would say not all of that is you know tackling is not always as successful as others. Right. So. Right, but I think it, I think Sandman as as a as a series kind of has all these different stories, all these different mythologies, all tied together, and you can kind of see how they're you know kind of shows the humanity behind all of them. I think you know you kind of get to the the nut of it, you know. Yeah, and that reinforces a bit what Morpheus is saying. Right. Have, yeah. Have yeah. any like, of you guys exist for humans? Exactly. Have, have any of you guys read the Max? No. Mm. Okay. So the the Max, which is drawn by Sam Keith, I think it was written by Sam Keith too, right? Yeah, I think it was written and drawn by Sam Keith. Uh, I but... think it's like um, plot by Sam Keith, written by Bill Messner Loeb's. Right, well, Michigan's own William Messner Loeb's uh, did a lot of the writing on it too. But anyway, um, I haven't read anywhere close to all of it. But I think the Max is another series that uh, deals with stories, but in a way that makes much more is much more concerned uh, and explicit about the link between stories and psychology. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Check that out. Yeah. This conversation was also kind of reminding me of a thing that happens at the end of Good Omens. Another new game enjoyed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know if this is his part or... I'm sorry, do you mean uh, Good Omens the book or Good Omens the TV show that came out recently? More so the book, I okay. guess. Uh, does anybody mind if I talk about the end of that? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, we've, we've, we've seen read it. it. So we've yeah. read and seen, yeah. so we're fine. I, I read the book. I have not seen the show. Okay. The show's pretty good. At the end of the book, there's a confrontation between the gang of plucky children. Yes. And <laughs> the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Yes, yes, yes. And they, like, trap three of the horsemen by just making rudimentary symbols for them, like a sword out of tinfoil. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they touch it to war, and she just gets sucked up into it. Mm-hmm. Yes. But then after they've defeated three of them, um, Death says, basically... That will not work on me because I am actually the angel of death. <laughs> so they like started with that that concept of oh they just emerged from psychology and didn't go all the way with it. There right. are also ancient beings of unimaginable. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to maybe cap things off by just putting a question to the group to really like to sum up why should people read Sandman? If someone's listening to this who hasn't yet. You know, why should people read Sandman? If you've listened this far, I've had the whole story spoiled for you. But, you know. So you probably <laughs> <laughs> if you listen to all this and still haven't read it, you probably shouldn't at this point. We've blown the whole thing. I would say read it because there's not really other comics that are like it. I think it's pretty unique in what it does. If you are a, a fan of fantasy or horror or mythology or storytelling in general, you'll probably get something out of it. If you like the other Neil Gaiman things, if you're a goth kid from the 90s, you should read it because it's going to tickle some, some creative bone in you, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's good. It's good. It's just, all of it's, it's just really interesting and unique. I think the fact that it's like super well written and says a lot about what stories mean to people, are those are going to be covered. So yeah. what I will say instead is that it's a series that encompasses like any genre that you can want. It does really effective horror stories. It Mm -hmm. has some really effective comedy stories. It's kind of a family drama at the same time. There are fantasy epics rolled in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it takes these kind of big ideas and, and, you know, gives you those great stories and different genres, but also, like, has the personal touch as well. Like, you really... Great characters, Um, great stories. I think think my answer to the question would be that people should read it because it's just incredibly rich. Like, Mm. Neil Gaiman has a ton of imagination, 
and he has come up with a conceit for this book that allows him to like use his imagination like in whatever different direction it goes. And that's something that we've noticed over the course of doing this podcast many times is that like we need to do a lot more notes and delve into the dialogue a lot more with Sandman than with mm-hmm. the other series. Yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, denser. Well, yeah, and it's dense in terms of Neil Gaiman's ideas, but it's also really dense in the sense that like often the artists who are chosen to illustrate these issues have like a really kind of intricate detailed style mm-hmm. and so there's just a richness on the page a lot of the time as well yeah. the dave mckeon covers yeah, like the, you were saying the me. visuals the writing the themes it's all there's a lot to think about you know or you just read it straight as a, as a cool story about you know godlike beings it's also fun too but right yeah. Where did they get in there? Did you uh, want to weigh in? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's it's, it's both a his, uh, an artistic and historical touchstone. Historical because I think it really pushed the boundaries of what comics could be as a storytelling medium. Mm-hmm. At the time it was coming out, the audience for it was vastly different from what the comic book audience had been for, for most yeah. mainstream publications. Um, a lot more women were reading mm-hmm. it than That's read most point. comics. Um, and then a lot of people in their 20s as well like for reading people. it yeah. older people and so i think if you are somebody who has enjoyed or benefited from the recent explosion in diversity of comics and and m- maturity and just the sort of um expansion of it as an art form then it it kind of started um with sandman in certain ways so yeah. people have a good paths going forward yes you know, as far as what comics yes. can do it's interesting so. to me that you say maturity because mm-hmm. like this and uh, swamp thing and hellblazer were kind of the the early ones that that launched sort of oh comics can yeah. be mature stories for adults not just for kids mm-hmm. yeah. in, in America uh, in America in America yeah, that's about <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Japan's doing that stuff You're this feels Europe. more mature to me certainly than early Hellblazer at least for sure but it's interesting also we, we keep coming back to the idea of, of maturity but like Neil Gaiman was a young man as Very we keep joking young. about when Very young. Young. how old was he when he started this writing is me I don't know like 20 yeah, like 5 or 28 or something ridiculous 26 26 that's nuts I can't remember if it was 26 when he started or 26 when he finished it was 35 when he finished 35 when he finished okay oh man was it 9 years yes Sandman ended in 97 94 ended in 94 so it was 5 5 89 and 94 yeah wow yeah Okay, so he was 30 when he started writing it. Still, though. Doesn't that just make you spit blood? <laughs> I my life in 33. This is me the hell off. I only got two years left to write a Sandman. I mean, that is like an astonishing level of maturity for somebody who's, who's 25. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I could write something with this level of maturity now. No. Um, so. No, I for sure couldn't. I think it's something that, I don't know. I think of all Neil Gaiman's work. I mean, Sandman's probably my favorite. It just feels like... That's the kind of thing he probably always wanted to write. It feels like that kind of thing that's like probably been percolating in his brain since he was a kid. You know, those kind of ideas, and 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 finally he's able to get it all out. And yeah, yeah, it's impressive. And you know, I've probably mentioned before on this podcast that I came to Neil Gaiman kind of backwards because I read like all of his novels before oh, I read mm-hmm. any of Sandman. And this was kind of the thing that he broke through with. Mm-hmm. So, but it, it really was worth it to go back. And he hasn't, you know. Um, I don't feel like he's either stagnated or repeated himself too heavily. No. This is definitely worth reading, despite the fact that it's the beginning of his career in some ways. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I I think easily one of the, if not the most, rewarding Neil Gaiman read. For sure. Right. But I'm I'm biased, you know. I like I like novels, 
but I kind of like comic books more. Oh, <laughs> English major. Oh, and I think so that, like, English major you I, I just think that like having dope-ass illustrations That's really brings right. something to a story, you know? Well, I think it's, Sandman's also like one of the more literary comics I've read. Yeah, it, feel, it feels like it could be a novel. It feels like it could be... But like the visuals do so much for it as well. Yeah. You know, it's like it's just a perfect combination of the, of the written word and the pictures. So, good job, Neil. And, uh... What's cool about it too is that pretty much every other Neil Gaiman thing can fit into this cosmology if you wanted it to. I feel like mm-hmm. yeah, yeah so American Gothic rolled into it pretty easily, you know. Uh, Neverwhere, uh, all that, all those, all those fun little stories he's written. Coraline, definitely. Yeah, he definitely likes the Norse gods. Keeps coming back. He does to that. like them. Yeah, <laughs> gods of all kinds. Who doesn't? They're really he just, fun. He just loves mythology. You can tell he's a guy who just knows his stuff and just has a real passion for for the histories and the myths and the folk folk tales of the world. It's really interesting to compare, like, the way that he talks in the foreword of his book, Norse Mythology, mm-hmm. about how he definitely picked up on the character of Thor from Marvel Comics. Yeah. But the <laughs> Thor in this comic is dumb as shit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably more accurate to the actual mythology. Yeah. Not a flattering yeah. portrayal. No. Well, the God of Thunder. You know, it, it's true. He, uh, like, the, the, the Thor of Norse Mythology and of Sandman, consequently, yes, dumb, but also, like, super angry. Yeah, like you know, and guy, sometimes yeah. you see that. Sometimes you see that in the Marvel Thor. Like sometimes Marvel's Thor has like a righteous anger where he's like, "By God, I will write that." I guess he doesn't say "By God," no. but <laughs> by, by me, by <laughs> Odin, I will write yeah. this wrong. You know, so he gets righteous anger sometimes. But like the Thor of Norse myth was just like a hair trigger. He's just a like, hothead, right? right? Yeah, he's just a yeah. brawling. Like, I'm angry. Brownies, <laughs> <laughs> goddamn it! Me, damn it! You said something that. That I can vaguely interpret as an insult. I'm so I murder you with a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I think that there's an undertone in Norse mythology that like the dwarves and giants are assholes. Yeah, yeah. And anything that turns you against them is okay. Yeah, <laughs> which is pretty uh, pretty racist towards dwarves and giants. But yeah, I mean, you know, the, yeah. They, they but were he's a... definitely like a, a hero in the Hercules sense of yeah. someone who is larger than life, not someone who's a good person. Who's a good person. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. Was there anything else you wanted to cover? Uh, no, I think we're good. All right. Anything else anybody else wanted to cover? No, you should read The Sandman if you haven't. Again, if you got this long into the podcast and haven't read The Sandman, what's your problem? But, uh... Well, you can listen to us while driving. And there you, you can't go. read comic books while well, driving. At least you shouldn't. Unless you got a Tesla. Oh, that's... So you're all you're all in agreement on this, yeah. huh? <laughs> you're all gonna gang up on me. <laughs> Well, thanks so much for being on the show. Well, thanks for having us, Yeah, guys. of course. I always love talking uh, always with you guys. Always a pleasure. Always love talking about comics with you fellas. And thanks for listening yeah. to our friends on the other uh, end of the microphone. I have to follow the cord. There are, in fact, more conventional episodes in which we cover, in which we recap and review Vertigo Comics, including the cult hits Lucifer, Hellblazer, Transmetropolitan. Ah, uh, Transmet. The show is written and performed by Eric and I, and this week also Ryan and Joanna. I produce the show and Eric handles social media. Our theme song is by Kelly Joyce Fielder. If you like our show, you should check out our website, vertigize.blueberry.com. That's B-L-U-B-R-R-Y. We've got lots more episodes, plus show notes on every episode. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, I'm on Twitter, at Vertigize. Sean is on Twitter, at BlankCastSean. We have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash if you want to use your podcast app of choice to leave us a positive rating or review, we would certainly appreciate it. It helps people to find the show, and we'd be happy to read your positive review on the air. Only the, maybe the negative ones. ones. I don't know. Could Only be po- no, we don't want. You don't want negative ones. That's what we learned early on. Don't tell people. 
To they do it. I'll give you negative reviews. <laughs> let, let me do a quick check here to see if we have any new positive reviews, and if we do, I'll I will read it. Constructive criticism, and I will hey. do guys. And I will <laughs> do the, the review. Email to us privately. So I will do the voices also if there's oh, if, there, if there's a negative review. They're gonna sound like this. This podcast sucks balls. I hate it. Uh, well, there are That's no amazing. new positive reviews, so. Um, okay, that was not a real review, by the way. That was just yeah. that's like maintaining a bad review. <laughs> that, that was one of our reviews for our podcast. <laughs> yeah, for yes. our podcast, what's Lightsaber's precious? Uh, this podcast makes me feel like I'm sniffing a sweaty scrotum. I hate it. Did, so, the did somebody say that about your? No, we're just. Oh, okay. We haven't actually gotten any. That's nasty exceedingly ones. mean. Okay, we just like to, no, we just, no, no meanies out no, there. No, we haven't gotten any mean ones. So uh, we just like to joke. Ryan and Joanna, where can people find you? Oh, uh, so we are. Uh, we have a, a Facebook and a Twitter presence. Uh, just search what's lightsabers precious i guarantee we're the only thing that comes up we have a soundcloud where you can find our episodes uh, again we're kind of on a, a bit of a hiatus but uh we're gonna post things as they happen like just recently we had new news that we thought that the the chimp who puts together uh, kylo ren's helmet we thought his name was brad because it turns bat- out it was a false it's not brad. it's not brad it's not brad okay i'm yeah. sorry chimp okay so have you seen the rise of skywalker yeah have you okay seen i saw it there's that when, he, when a Kyle Rang, he says it's like a chimp with the welding goggles on. Oh, okay. That, and there was a Photoshop someone made of, of like the, the visual dictionary. He said his name was Brad. And I was like, Joanne, honestly, the chimp's name is Brad. And I was so mad about it. And I texted her about it, but no, it's not it's Brad. It's not Brad. So it's all direct or something like that. But so. these are the kind of like late-breaking developments that you can you find. You can find. We're going to update you. We're going to do the all-Brad cast coming up. Don't worry. I honestly forgot about this character, and I thought you were saying that in real life they had a very talented chimp put the welding. together. No, we're talking about Star Wars here. Sorry. <laughs> Ever costume department. Yeah, actually, I, I, I looked up some information there. I guess you, yeah, we do a podcast about Lord of the Rings and Star Wars, and this is a Star Wars character, not, not a very talented <laughs> chimp with a welding mask named Brad. Uh, though I would like to see that. So, Bradcast. An automatic Oscar goes to the first yeah. film to employ a chimp in their costume department. Yeah. <laughs> that said, Andy Circus would star in a tear jerking yeah. biopic. Oh, absolutely! Brad, the first life. ever chimp prop man in Hollywood. I love it. I love it. No. But in all seriousness, though, our podcast is kind of on a little bit of a uh, kind of a pause, sort of a sort of a what do you call it in uh, in limbo sort of thing. Oh, we just slowed our schedule a little bit. It used slowed to be every week. our schedule, but we are we do have something else in the works. Yes, I'm um, rubbing my so... hands together. Something very fun and interesting coming to you soon to fill that gap. So, and that'll be in your regular podcast feed. Maybe we're not sure yet. Oh, but okay. uh, yeah, okay. we're working on something. <laughs> I uh, haven't actually started recording it yet, but oh, 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 it's coming to you well, soon, my pretty. <laughs> well, when you when you know what it is, give us a heads up and we will advise our listeners of oh, it. Oh, thanks. Yeah. That's nice, you guys. And as always, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Thank thanks. you. Bye.